2: Your guide on the side, top of the morning to you, and welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the latest, the greatest research, information, updates on how to live life, and sometimes we give you some some pretty silly things as well. You know, just, this is what we do. Welcome to the program. Boy, oh boy, uh, have we got a great day for you. Banana Day. Today's the day you celebrate bananas. There's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> <laughs> or Bananas. I love a good banana. And uh, it's also hanging out day. This day was established to highlight the amount of energy that is wasted using electric clothes dryers. Right? So instead of uh, putting your, your clothes in the dryer to dry, just hang them out. So it's more of a pun. Yeah. You know,
3: Spencer yes. and Jerem invited you to hang out yesterday, and you said no.
2: I, ha- I'm- I had a busy day yesterday. It's you know You just didn't want to see the fate of the furious. That too. But apparently we're going to go to another movie. What's the next big release? Guardians of the Galaxy of the Volume Galaxy. 2. Volume 2. Yeah, it's going to be a party. On vinyl. Mm. I love the vinyl release of movies. Those were the days when vinyl mattered. When you could just set four vinyls up to just play for the next hour and a half. They're they're coming back, are they? Yeah. They release pretty much everything on vinyl now. When was the last time you bought a vinyl? Or even do, do you even have a, a player, a no. record player? No.
3: Laser discs are, I think, coming
2: back, too. Well, I hope. Why? You guys need a life. Come on! Hey, we got a lot to talk about today. Democratic Party. Um, what's going on with the Democratic Party? Do they, like, demographically, are they even... Are they, are they going to be able to survive... I don't know if you remember, about 15 years ago, everyone was questioning if the Republican Party could survive.
4: Now? Four years ago.
2: Now they're... Yeah, it was in 12, wasn't it?
4: Yeah. Uh, Thriving. That's the thing. I mean, uh, the night that President Obama won his second term, it was the Republican Party's over. It's over. They're in complete disarray. Can it happen? They cannot recover. And then four years later, they take the White House again. Yeah. It's like, well, okay. (laughs) Okay. And that some of this is kind of that way.
2: but Demographically, are- the Democrats are in that exact same position. They're yep. losing everything. Right. And, well, yeah, but the minorities, more women are voting, younger yep. people are voting. That's going to carry the Democrats. And then
4: in the future, they'll win an election and say, the Republicans are out of touch.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this is, this is deeper than touch, apparently. Huh? This is demographics. Mm. Until you have a really charismatic leader like Barack Obama. Then boom.
4: Or someone who's not of any party like Donald Trump.
2: Yeah. He's of the sixth
3: party. There is a sixth dimension known to man.
2: (laughs) Unknown to man, I should say. Um, So we'll cover that. We'll get into those interesting demographics about the Democratic Party. Also, uh, some empty news as well. Plus, just the latest and greatest uh, in headlines. But first to Terry South with the uh, headlines across the United States. What's going on that we should be worried about, Terry? Former New England Patriots tight end
4: Aaron Hernandez, who was acquitted just days ago of murdering two strangers, reportedly committed suicide in a Massachusetts prison earlier this morning. Hernandez serving a life prison without parole for murdering Odin L. Lloyd in 2013 at a nightclub oh, he got in a fight at a nightclub and then killed him later because, you know, it's what you do. It also comes the same day that his former team visits the White House to be honored by President Trump for winning the Super Bowl. So the Patriots are going to be asked all these questions that they're not going to answer because they haven't answered anything about Mr. Hernandez who was their tight end, who was probably going to be an all-pro, make a ton of money playing football, but couldn't get rid of these connections to some gangs he was involved with as a kid and these ties and some murders and
2: Tragic. All kinds
4: of crazy. So he, uh, as someone put on Twitter, we now know the end of his story. Citizen tipsters reportedly led authorities to Steven Stevens, a 37-year-old man who fatally shot a man in Cleveland and posted the video on Facebook before escaping the city. The New York Times later reported that police were tipped off by employees of a McDonald's that Stevens patronized before being caught. Henry Sayers, the restaurant's manager, said in an interview that Mr. Stevens bought a 20 piece order of McNuggets and a large order of fries for five bucks at the drive thru. The report continued Mr. Stevens was given his order of McNuggets, but workers tried to make him wait by holding on to his fries. (laughs) Could you just pull ahead a little bit? We'll get your fries just a second. We're a little backed up here. As Uh... they did that, they called the cops. Tried to stall him, and he finally just said, I gotta go, and took off, but the cops were able to catch him a few blocks later. I don't need my fries. He was found dead of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound inside the car after police police had brief briefly pursued him.
2: Crazy story.
4: So that situation's over. Democrat John Ossoff uh, fell just short of the 50% mark in Tuesday's special election for a house seat in Georgia's 6th congressional district an affluent and reliably conservative area in Atlanta's northern suburbs that had sent Republicans to Congress since electing Newt Gingrich in 78. With 88% of precincts reporting early Wednesday, also had a 48% of of, of the vote in an 18-candidate field. So it was him and, like, 11 Republicans and a bunch of other parties running. See,
2: this is the bummer for him because now the other, whatever it is, 11... All those Republicans Candidates are going to unite. We'll focus one.
4: behind the one person. Her name is Let's uh, see here. Republican saw. Karen Handel. Yeah. She's a former Georgia Secretary of State, and was running a distant second place with 19% of the vote, but 19% out of 11 Republicans. Right. So, and, and most of the polling data shows that he'll probably lose
2: oh, going head
4: to head. Now, President Trump w- got won that district by 1.5 percentage points.
2: Yeah, so he did That's like the, he did as well as Handel.
4: That's where they feel maybe this district was shifting Democrat, which is interesting for our our upcoming guest about demographics. We'll see how this plays out. Despite claims from the White House that a U.S. aircraft carrier was ordered to the Sea of Japan as a show of force against North Korea, the USS Carl Vincent and four other ships were reportedly moving in the opposite direction towards the Indian Ocean to take part in military exercises with Australia's Navy. Uh-huh. The New York Times though, said the White House on Tuesday passed the buck to the Pentagon, which reportedly prematurely announced the carrier's movements. On Monday, Defense News reported that the carrier and its ships had yet to head north. So the whole point was we're headed to North Korea. North Korea then lobbed a bunch of retaliatory comments back, like "We're ready for war if you are." But the aircraft carrier that was supposed to be headed north to North Korea was, was actually really... going to Australia.
2: But it, I mean, it was eventually going to get to North Korea well, after
4: they finished yeah, up like in Australia. In six
2: months. What? What's the big deal? So then the question is who was
4: wrong? And the White House is like it was them, it was the guys at the Pentagon. It's Kellyanne Conway. And the guy and uh the Secretary of Defense is kinda of, he kinda of fell on the sword. I'm not sure what the problem was there. Apparently nobody over there kinda of knows where aircraft carriers are. <laughs> And in a poorly worded email that has people on social media wondering when Adidas, the shoe company, may issue an apology, several Twitter users on Tuesday posted an email they received from Adidas uh, running that invited them to share their Boston Marathon experience and shop for gear. The problem was the subject line, which reads, congrats, you survived the Boston Marathon. (sighs) Whoops. Not the best message to send in connection with the bombing in 2013 yeah. and all that. So. Yeah. You survived. We're Yay. having a lot
2: of uh, these companies that aren't getting their messaging right. Pepsi had the problem with the Kardashian or the Jenner girl. Yeah. I mean, these people are paid a lot of money to get messaging right. Right.
4: They're supposed to be intelligent, smart, savvy yeah. when it comes to public messaging. I, I simply asked my wife. I didn't say what the problem is with this. or not. I just said – Here's this message from Adidas, and she just – with like instantaneous response, like, no, that's bad. But <laughs> somehow that got through the PR and got through whatever filters Adidas has, which makes me think maybe someone just sitting at a desk on the Adidas yeah. Twitter account went, hey, this sounds good. This sounds incredible. Listen to this
2: line. Yeah, you know what? It, but it, we're, we're learning more and more after the United debacle mm-hmm. how important every role in a business is. Yes. Because it can bring you to your knees, so now adidas is is running and and having problems, yeah, what do you do
4: you don't put that out
2: you can't you can 't
3: please everybody, can you no you it's think not. before you tweet it 's that simple
2: and didn't grandma say that she did she grandma was a heavy a... tweeter oh that woman could tweet,
4: but you could be paralyzed by the process too uh, uh, the Romney campaign. Before they sent out anything on Twitter, it went through like 20 people. Yeah. You know, and at some point it's like, it becomes too...
2: Well, except now look at who wouldn't love President Trump to have everything he says filtered through 20 people. It'd be helpful. I mean, it'd be so helpful. Right. But, you know, now it's interesting how many people just would love to have Mitt Romney. Yes. Right now.
4: Because a lot of what Trump is using is is kind of the framework that Mitt Romney had set up
2: before. Yeah. and he's but the difference with with Mitt is that he he was just he was kind of slower to react, right? Very pensive, thoughtful about it. And you know we wouldn't we wouldn't have told everybody that we were about to go to war with North Korea mm. by sending a fleet to Australia. Australia, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. So, um. What? OK. It just seems like tr- Trump seems to have a a good week and then a bad week, mm-hmm. then a good week. Right. And then a bad week. Yeah. Wrong. And it also seemed like I thought for sure Bannon was gone.
4: Well, that was the uh, we're, we're getting all these reports that are kind of uh, second and third hand. Mm mm-hmm. uh, Inside sources type of thing, and those things change and and you could also see the President seeing all those reports and then going no we 're not going to make that decision right now
2: yeah we 're not doing that
4: i 'm <laughs> not going to give them a win those media people,
2: I guess especially because if everyone 's talking about it he 's like no i 'm not going to
4: no because because he 's transactional he's he can uh, change his mind on an, on a on a topic on an issue, yeah, I heard someone uh, from the National Security Council yesterday on an interview. Talking about how that's one of his greatest strengths is you really have no idea what he's doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, that used to not be a strength.
4: It keeps our friends and adversaries kind of uh, off balance. Yeah. When it comes to foreign policy and national relations that way.
2: And how, um, yeah, isn't it? It's a a strength. It's a strength. Many would say it's a weakness. Not to
4: have a clear position on things.
2: But it, it almost does seem like there's just this, there's almost a genius to it. Because it seems like it, there's no genius to it except he keeps – he's the president of the United States. Right. He I mean, ran the that, table.
4: That's what the person from the National Security Agency or council was talking about was you look at like – people were saying his Twitter account was just random stuff. Oh, yeah.
2: Crazy, crazy, kooky, this, random. This
4: guy's convinced that there is a strategy to it. Yeah. And he goes – and case in point, he goes, he's the president. Nobody thought he was going to get there. I mean, that's his favorite line. I'm the president. And he goes, just the fact that he won the election shows there's strategy, not just chaos in what's happening with the Trump administration. and
2: in the Supreme Court today, they're going to be hearing a case that Neil Gorsuch could very easily be the deciding vote on about religious freedom. Right. And he got that done for this crazy guy that just tweets randomly that's completely out of control and has no discipline. His, he's, got, he, he's got his <laughs> Supreme Court justice sitting there now. Yeah.
4: And, he did call uh, Paul Ryan, Ron Ryan, like five times yesterday when he was talking in Wisconsin. So there's always with, that. Well, because I was talking with Ron yesterday.
2: Ronnie. <laughs> what was he thinking about? This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm
4: not proud of it. He goes, Paul Ryan, you know, he's not here today with me. He's talking to NATO. And, you know, I got on the phone with Ron and I was telling him. You're like, what? He did it like three or four times in the speech.
2: <laughs> Ron Ryan. Well, you know what? Uh, Ron and Ron, uh, Ron Paul. He's thinking Ron Paul. Is that what
4: it is? Okay.
2: Ron Paul Ryan. So,
4: uh, yeah, it's like, is is he strategic? And then he calls people Ron. He forgets the, he is, you know, putting his, could you, the, from the Easter egg
2: roll, right? Yeah.
4: Ridiculous comments, re- uh, thoughts. He didn't cover his hand over his heart during. Yeah,
2: and his wife tapped him. And his him. wife
4: tapped him. If President Obama did that. The outcry would be just ridiculously loud, would it I think it would I think people would go after oh that no they like, would just think, oh, oh, he was
2: probably just thinking about world problems, really, yeah, that's what <laughs> they would think, don't you think no <laughs> they, if don't. if president obama would had was failing to put his hand over his heart and Michelle tapped his leg, everyone would think, Oh, what a job, He can't even remember to do that, I with don't Donald they' like true with Donald Well. Do you think do you think they're giving Donald more of the benefit of the doubt or would they give Barack Obama more of the benefit of the doubt?
4: I don't know. I was expecting people to try to, to go after President Trump for not covering, you know, putting oh, his yeah. hand over his heart immediately cuz you have yeah. to. But, I would and, think. Yeah, go ahead. Know. It's just this idea that maybe he's got this uh, perception that he's such a kind of a goofball type of yeah. persona that people go, "Oh, it's that's who he is." That's you just know, he's who he kind is. Kind of forgettable.
2: Yeah, so they give him the benefit of the doubt.
3: I think it's because you know the conservatives are the
2: ones that would be more upset about something like that. They no, they would, they would. Except it wouldn't with Donald. It's every day with Donald. There's something new every single day, yeah. and. The conservatives, I guess, tried to do that with Barack Obama. But I think in the end, like, for example, Elizabeth Warren was on what show? The Tonight Show. And she mentioned that it's only been 100 days. Mm. It hasn't even been 100 days. No.
4: 100 days when the next week. When yeah, we have 100
2: to- days next week. Yeah, And she says, this is like going to take forever. She says, it's like dog years. <laughs> Donald Trump lives with dog years. Like, I mean, that's a sitting senator.
4: So does Trump get the benefit of the doubt because sometimes he says sort of
2: goofy things versus – No, because nobody respects Donald Trump.
4: Do they though? Because there's other times where everyone just like moves the second he starts talking.
2: Oh, they they do. You know? Except – I mean the funny thing about that uh, tapping of his leg, it was not mentioned anywhere except everywhere. Right. So the funny thing about it is so now three things a day, one will be deeply evaluated by every journalist on the face of the earth. The other two will just become memes and Mm -hmm. gifs that just everybody sees. But you
4: talked about this. People get focused on these sorts of things – and they probably shouldn't. But they're not focusing on, like, the three executive orders he exactly. that day. Because it's better to, oh, yeah. look, his wife tapped his leg, and all, you know which doesn't matter. No. Who cares? He yeah. had a forgetful moment or something. doesn't matter. The executive orders matter, but the they end. don't talk about those.
2: Well, sometimes. So until, it, unless the executive order is something huge and right. annoying and completely complicated and weird. Yeah. Then they talk about that, and then they just play the gifs. Yeah. So, really, he's being ridiculed, and I think deservedly many times, but I also think it's it, it's a level, I think, of coverage that President Obama never had. Mm. And I think it's because of President Trump. President Trump, I think, demands. He's a media vacuum. He sucks all of the air out of the media. And he knows how to do it. That's how he won the election, right? Yeah. It's just he he hoarded all of the media time. So now he's doing it as president. So it's, I think it's fine. It's just it's 100 days. Yeah. This, I mean, it hasn't—it hasn't even been a third of a year, right? This is gonna be forever, and then and he'll win re-election. Yeah, right there, Jeff. I
3: just—I just, I just had the immediate need to just pull out some jazz.
2: Yeah, you went all jazz on us. This is why we want to talk about the demographics because is Trump is Trump helping or hurting? In reality, it may not matter what the president does because. Behind all of this, there are some demographic issues that are going on. And we have a a researcher, a social scientist, that's been looking at the demographic movement of the Democratic Party, and he thinks they may be in trouble. The Democrats, not only do they not seem to have any standout leaders to take over and start leading younger, I guess, leaders of the Democratic Party, but they also have a demographic crisis where they may not have the votes they used to have. So stick with us on this. This is an interesting discussion up next about politics. We'll be right back. When President Obama first took office, the Democratic Party was a place for young, college-educated minorities and women it was predicted that this would be the progressive party of the future as minority voices multiplied and as the white votes declined due to immigration and interracial unions since then though the demographics uh, have have not changed endangering the democratic democratic party so here to talk to us about this uh possible crisis for the democrats is Musa Algarbi a fellow in sociology at Columbia University he is the Paul F Lazarfeld Lasserfe- fellow in sociology at Columbia University and a research associate with the Heterodox Academy based out of New York University Musa thank you so much for being with us today
5: Yeah thank you for having me
2: So what OK, what is going on? Um, because forever we heard, you know, at least in 2012, we heard that the um, that the Republican Party was on the decline, that all of the demographics were showing that it was going to be uh, everyone was going to jump on the, the Democratic bandwagon, have a big progressive movement. What what really do you see happening demographically to the Democratic Party? Are they in crisis?
5: Yeah, you know, what's funny about the narratives that took off in 2012, even, is that um, in 2012, Barack Obama did beat Mitt Romney uh, by, you know, a, a solid margin. Uh, he won by 126 electoral votes, about 3.4 million popular vote. While that's, like, objectively comfortable, it's a 34% decline in his electoral vote win from versus 2008 over McCain, and it was a 59% decline in this popular vote lead against McCain in 2008. So even in 2012, there were warning signs that maybe the the sort of trend that people were talking about when Obama took office was maybe not going the way they expected.
2: Mm. Now, what about President—because uh, President—or um, Hillary Clinton still won the, the, the general vote, um, but what— so so it seems like they're still able to get a, to get a majority.
5: But so the what's interesting about Hillary Clinton's popular vote win in this election is she won. So, again, uh, in 2008, Barack Obama won the popular vote by eight point five million votes in 2012. He won by three point four million votes. In 2016, Hillary Clinton won by 2.87 million votes. So even if she had actually won the presidency on the basis of that popular vote, um, it would have been the narrowest win of of any candidate since the 2000 election. Bush won, for comparison, Bush won um, re-election in 2004 by three point four eight million votes, hmm. so she. So it was a super. When you talk in the millions, it sounds like this huge win, but it was even if even if she had won the presidency based on the popular vote, it would have been like the narrowest of victories, and it still would mark another steep decline. Um, Which but the problem that the Democrats face is that even the popular vote advantage they have doesn't translate necessarily to winning the races that they need to win because the Democrats uh, have a lot of strength in certain like solidly blue areas um, and and a lot of urban areas, but they've been declining consistently in um, rural, suburban, post-industrial areas, and that's ultimately what costs them the election uh, in this cycle is states that have been traditionally more blue-leaning. Such as Wisconsin, um, flipped flipped for Trump uh, this this cycle.
2: How much of this, um, and help us because the statistics behind all of this they're they're I think they're actually incredibly enlightening but incredibly complicated. How much of this is actually just personality? It seems like President Obama killed it, uh, getting um, eight point five million of of the of the um, of the vote. Uh, but but what's but he his personality was so enormous and he was it was such a kind of a groundbreaking election the first African American to be president of the United States um, so and then and then you know Donald Trump seemed and and, and Hillary Clinton seems to have had some personality issues where some, you know had a history and a lot of people that didn't like her how much of this is democratic philosophy and ideology versus just the people that we that you know that are being put out there.
5: Yeah, so okay. So let me address two two parts of that. So the the trend, um so Barack Obama certainly, he was an exceptional candidate. You know, he's uh he was very um very skilled on the stump, very inspiring. But the the trend that the Democrats sort of but what made Democrats think that Obama represented such a dramatic sort of trend for the future was in part because the the sort of upward trend for them started around the uh, 2006, um, the 2006 midterm elections. Democrats also they they swept. Um, they, they ended up uh, expanding their lead in one chamber, flipping another chamber. All the like across the board, everything looked pretty good. And then 2008, Barack Obama just took it to a different level. So they they were assuming, but this is not the first time that the Democrats have made this kind of a prediction. Uh, I, I want they. Right before Reagan um, uh, took office, they were predicting a, a permanent Democratic majority. Right before um, Reagan took office, they were predicting it again. And in both mm. of these cases, you know, uh, Nixon uh, won re-election by the what was at the time the largest landslide, you know, in, in contemporary American history. And this was right before the Democrats were saying that they were going to have a permanent majority. Reagan, similarly, he won election and then re-election by huge landslides. Um, so there seems to be this trend of Democrats predicting that they're going to win a permanent majority right before they get expelled, <laughs> expelled yeah. from power in some major way, which is it's bizarre. <laughs> uh, it's bizarre, But uh, but as far as um, personality goes, um, yeah, I mean, so this, this cycle was, was unusual in that both both candidates were pretty well despised by the American people. Um, overall, they were both pretty unpopular. Hillary Clinton was marginally more popular, according to polling, than Donald Trump. Um, and I guess the popular vote bears that out. But um, but it's a real uh, crisis for the Democrats, again, in, in large part because of the, the way that the allegiance is falling sort of geographically
2: what do you, what do you see happening because i mean in 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 many regards Democrats tend to win uh the women uh, they tend to win uh, minorities they tend to win the younger crowds um the Republicans tend to win I guess male white males that are aging. But we keep hearing over and over too that there's a shift in the population that uh, the United States will eventually be less white, and as as those shift, you would think demographically it would automatically be turning more toward the Democrats. Why would that not be the case?
5: Yeah, so there's there's two interesting things um, that are happening. Uh, the first the first thing I'll talk about is like a larger trend, uh, and then the second thing is interesting things about 2016. So as far as the larger trend is concerned. There have been um, shifts like um, in terms of America becoming more racially diverse, uh, et cetera, or more educated, et cetera, in ways that abstractly one would think would favor the Democrats. But the problem is a lot of these gains, um, like a lot of the areas that are becoming more diverse, et cetera, are areas that are already solidly blue. So, so it's hard to translate Those demographic shifts into meaningful electoral outcomes for the Democrats, because the growth is happening in safe districts. Um, So that's uh, that's one big problem that the Democrats have. Uh, But what's interesting about this cycle is that a lot of those trends, well, actually, and not and not just this cycle, really going back to 2008 to to present, is that Democrats have actually been declining in popularity with a lot of these groups that they thought were going to usher them into power. So they've been declining consistently every cycle, every presidential cycle, with blacks, with people who self-identify as liberal, with people who uh, self-identify as having no religious uh, faith, with 18- to 29-year-olds, with women, with people who have never gone to college, with Catholics, with 45- to 64-year-olds, with people who are under 30,000, with people mm. who identify as moderate. I mean, you just go on um, on down the line. And uh, in in the midterm elections, uh, a similar dynamic, every midterm election, 2006, 2010, 2014, consistent decline among Hispanics, among Asians, um, among uh, every income group um, really uh, above 30,000 a year. Um, (laughs) And uh, so, for instance, in 2016, um, uh, Donald Trump won the highest share of the black vote uh, of any of any uh, president since um, George Bush Jr.
2: Of any Republican um, president or any president.
5: Any sorry, any Republican. Yeah, yeah.
2: So they are gaining George, ground.
5: They're gaining ground, absolutely. Um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, people with degrees, uh, college degrees, are kind of the swing vote. So Obama won most of the people with college degrees in '08, but Romney won most people with college degrees in 12. Clinton won them in 2016. Mm. But then there's differences along racial lines. So even though Clinton won most people with a college degree, Trump won the plurality of voters uh, who were white and had a college degree. Um, with regards to income, uh, you know, um, Democrats have been lo- losing huge amounts of ground among uh, low-income Americans. In terms of religion, this is another thing, right? People say America is becoming less religious, and so as a result, the left stands to benefit. But, but one thing is that decline is not happening nearly as fast as people imagine. They seem to, in a lot of these discussions, as though like, ten years from now, America will be mostly non-Christian or something like <laughs> that. Still, more than 70% of Americans are Christian. but um, the irony is that the This trend away from religion to the extent that it's happening, it's not benefiting the Democrats. Since 2008, um, the Democrats have declined among uh, 12 points, 12 Mm. percentage points among the non-Christian religious, 7 percentage points among the non-religious. Republicans ticked up 7 percentage points with the non-Christian religious Americans and up 3 percentage points with non-religious Americans. so uh, a lot of these these trends that people had been anticipating just aren't happening the way um, people are, I mean for instance, even women um, the Trump won a majority of uh, um, of the, of the white female vote um, and people had been anticipating that you know that would go overwhelmingly for Hillary Clinton first female candidate you know from yeah. a major party uh, so so a lot of these these trends that people have been anticipating just haven't been materializing.
2: Wow. Interesting. Musa, let's take a break. We're speaking with Musa Al-Gharbi, Garbi, is uh, walking through some of the demographics uh, that the Democratic Party are facing. It, again, it's, it seems completely opposite of what we were hearing about four years ago, where the Democratic Party was taking over the world Um Man, how times have changed. The data is showing, especially from exit polls from the last election, things are seriously changing. And uh, it may even reach a level of crisis for the Democratic Party if they can't uh, turn this around. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion with Musa and find out is it policy? Is it uh, what is it? Is it prosperity? What's going on that's driving some of this data? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us right now is Musa al He's a fellow in sociology at Columbia University and is helping us understand the the demographics, all of the data, the research behind the Democratic Party, uh, how well they're able to draw and bring uh, voters in, and where are all of these votes going. A lot of his review, it seems like, came from exit polls of the 2016 presidential election, um, and, and one of the things you just went through, Musa, first of all, thank you for being with us again.
6: Sure.
2: Um, one of the things I'm hearing you say is people – I mean we hear that there's a lot of people that don't like Donald Trump. And I, I, we know numerically there are, except it, it also seems like more people – Trump had more success at moving certain um, demographic groups than, than most of us had known or heard about.
5: Yeah, I mean, even Hispanics, for instance, Trump did better with Hispanics than Mitt Romney did in 2012, and that that that's like one of the most astonishing numbers, right? Right.
2: Because, um, Romney was born in Mexico.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> he's he's you know he spoke Spanish. He, he he did like yeah. campaign events in, in Spanish and stuff. I mean, uh, absolutely, and uh, but yes, yeah, so and and Trump, you know, promised his. His uh, political campaign, in large part, on on uh, you know uh, building a wall, you know being Mm -hmm. uh, tough on immigration, et cetera. And so, here's for me, I think this is one of the mm, big errors that the Democrats have made um, in recent years. Is there's this assumption, for instance, that uh, most that most Mexican uh, p- uh, or Hispanic or Latino people all have the same kind of views on immigration. Or if you're critical about immigration, it's not just Hispanics, but also, you know, most blacks will be against, uh, against these policies, et cetera. This, this idea of minorities as kind of a monolith in truth, um, you know, uh, all of these groups are, are very diverse. Um, and uh for instance, there's a lot of uh, Hispanic and Latino people who are, um, who are very strong, strongly supporting uh, immigration reform um, uh, and tough enforcement of immigration because they believe, you know, they got here in America the proper way through the proper channels, and they feel like other people should do the same. Um, there's a lot of uh, Latinos and Hispanics who, as a result of their Catholic or other religious faith, are socially conservative and so gravitate towards the Republicans. Um, there's a lot of African Americans, similarly, who as a result of their Christian faith or other, um, or other sort of ideological leanings. I, I wrote an article for the American Conservative about this some time ago called Why Aren't There More Black Republicans. Um, African Americans are, are another sort of demographic category that, that in principle are sort of ripe for Republicans to make substantial gains in. And the the problem for Democrats is that because of the way that their coalition is put together, so heavily dependent on on um these, my, uh, on, on, like targeting these sort of identity groups, if Republicans just take a you know a pretty small sliver of any of these groups, um, basically it makes it difficult to impossible for Democrats to win unless they really compensate by taking a lot more, by making uh, an an even larger share of the sort of white vote that they haven't been doing
2: as well. Hmm. Um, We've had other guests on the show that talked about that, that uh, Democrats tend to organize, you know, by identity politics in in nicely, you know, they believe, like you're saying, nice monolithic minority groups. (laughs) Um, But what you're saying is and and Republicans tended to actually have fewer constituencies, but more um, kind of certain certain principles that people would follow. And I guess what you're saying is if if Republicans continue to just hit on certain principles, socially conservative principles, you'll still be able to draw a sliver out of many of these um, identity groups or minority groups.
5: Absolutely. And I think uh, I think for um, I think especially a lot of the, the um, policy positions, a lot of minorities are maybe uncomfortable with sort of some of the tone and rhetoric that Trump uses, mm-hmm. perhaps. But a lot of the policy positions that he advocates, for instance, are, are very popular um, with them. Uh, for instance, a lot of uh, African Americans um, do support, you know, stronger restrictions on immigration for instance, yeah. um, et etc., and, uh, and, you know, there's, there's also this, like, m- math problem for the Democrats, right? So you can take all of these little identity groups, but they just don't, don't add up to a majority. LGBTQ Americans, even by the most generous sort of estimates, are up to possibly 4% of the electorate. You can take Muslims and Jewish Americans combined, and they're 3% of the electorate. Um, blacks and Hispanics are about ten to twelve percent each. Uh, Hispan- uh, Asian Americans are four percent.
6: Hmm.
5: So um, even if Democrats got one hundred percent of the vote from all of these groups, they still wouldn't be anywhere near a majority. Um, and so this is the, the, the sort of fallacy about the way they they do their, their strategizing. Is there's, there's really no way to a any kind of stable majority. Hmm. Without getting a large share of the white vote, and to the extent that Democrats, you know, disparage or 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 ignore a lot of white voters to focus on these different identity categories rather than speaking to more general interests or general principles, um, they're just not going to they're just not going to be successful.
2: Well, and it does, uh, it seems to add some credibility that because we were talking about it earlier that. Donald Trump seems like he's kind of this shotgun approach where he just keeps shooting these ideas out there until it hits something but a lot of the ideas that he's shooting out are these positions like you're saying that might be able to fracture some of the the base of the Democratic Party what what do you see going forward then so if if you were going to recommend um some solutions for the Democratic Party what What type, I guess, one thing you're saying is focus more on policies that a lot of people buy into instead of maybe traditional old positioning.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Democrats need to. Okay, so here's uh, here's the problem that the Democrats face right now is that um, Trump is uh, in office right now. And um, and so he's the default. Trump is the default. And Americans typically don't just replace the default unless they have an actual better alternative that they're faced with. It's not enough to say, you know, I'm the lesser evil. That's not going to. So since 1964, really, since the election of LBJ, there have only been three presidents that have served one term only, Ford, Carter, and George H.W. Bush. All of the others, Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, have been reelected. Trump- how, uh, uh, you know, people always talk about Trump's low approval rating. He won the presidency, right. that low approval rating. And for Congress, the approval rating is 15 percent uh, <laughs> around Election Day. Their incumbency rate in the 2016 election was 97 percent for the House, 98 percent for the uh,
6: Senate. 80
5: percent of governors are reelected. Yeah. so the idea that, you know, Trump is unpopular, therefore he won't win is crazy. Um, What Democrats need to do is present some kind of actual positive alternative to Trump. And it's not clear at this point what or who that would be if, for instance, in 2020, 2018 looks tough for the Democrats as well. Um, When you look at the seats that they have to defend versus the seats that the Republicans have to defend and how safe both the number of seats and also how safe those seats are, it's pretty unlikely that the Democrats would even flip the Senate in 2018 let alone the the house hmm. um so it's, it's a tough road ahead for the, day. the democrats and they don't seem to understand just how precarious the situation is um
2: and their bench is so shallow they just don't have they don't seem to have a lot of people you know a lot of people in waiting <laughs> i mean i'm sure a lot will appear but like you're saying they have to be a, a seriously more attractive alternative
5: absolutely you know um and the, the irony here is that, you know, there's a sense in which... Uh, so, there, so there is a template for them to follow, I think, and that is uh, in the form of Bernie Sanders. What, what was astonishing about Bernie Sanders is, you know, he's, a, he's an avowed socialist who had, like, no name recognition, uh, quirky, you know, um, gentleman from Vermont, and he was able to... Uh, not only you know stand up against uh, one of the sort of strongest political machines in contemporary American politics, but even after after the primary was over, um, in polling during the primary, he was consistently the most popular politician. Sort of against all um, against you know all all of the other Republican candidates. Um, Bernie Sanders did better in, in polling. Um, with the swing voters, with right wing voters. And then even after the primary, he's still like one of the most populous people in politics. And why? Um, in part because he does. He has this compelling um, message uh, that even if it's like, even if a lot of Americans, and, and also he just seems like a, a fundamentally you know, decent human yeah. being. So even if a lot of Americans don't necessarily like identify as socialists. They yeah. believe that Bernie Sanders is on their side and that he's really
2: trying to do good for them. No, I totally agree, Musa, and that, and and again, and really seems like a great alternative to Trump and Clinton. <laughs> Even though you may not agree with him, he just was seemingly the better alternative. So I guess what's interesting is Democrats are going to need an alternative for heaven's sakes, and um, the data is pretty important, folks. And it's true, and I I think is, everybody keeps discounting president trump but uh i think there's a method to the madness and uh, what do we do what do you do it's just not going to change by demonizing him in fact you, the democrats probably ought to be learning from him politicking a little bit like he does we'll take a break come back continue uh, the discussion up next we're going to be talking with mckenna baus about uh, does it matter what season you're born? Does that impact your personality? Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
3: Welcome to her house. She is McKenna Bouse. She is here to break down things you did know now.
2: Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. In the house, McKenna Bouse. Bouse is in the house. She's our producer, our studio, our a, uh, uh, what do we call it? Social media expert. But also, um, she likes to come in and give us little brain benders, little mind benders. Today, we're talking about the season of your birth. Yeah. And does it impact your personality?
7: So, a lot of people, you know, they hear that and they're thinking, are we talking about like astrology and all those, right. you know? Oh, you're a Taurus. Yeah, I am a Taurus. Yeah. Um, but. That is not what we are talking about. Um, we're talking about something a little more scientific.
2: Okay, good than that. <laughs> <laughs> so does it matter?
7: It does. It, it It makes a difference. And this is just sort of in the broad categories of, you know spring, summer, fall, winter. Um, But they've – there's been numerous studies that have been done generally tracking college students and adults and their mental health and things like that. And then looking back to when they were born and consistently they find these general trends. And obviously there's going to be exceptions person to person. Sure, sure. But broad strokes, there are some trends about mental health with when you were born.
2: Okay, So what are some of the trends? What do we – if it, You know, when we're born – I mean I guess if you're born in the deep of winter, it maybe it would impact it, stuff, yeah. how often it, you go outside, how much – how sunlight matters to you.
7: Totally. Um, so speaking of winter, um, babies who are born during the winter throughout their life tend to have higher rates of schizophrenia, hmm. bipolar disorder, seasonal affective disorder and depression. But they tend to be less irritable than other people.
2: Really? Yeah. So, so that they would survive, so their parents wouldn't just kill ah, them. Ah, yeah. I guess. Interesting. Okay.
7: Yeah. Um, when it comes to springtime babies, uh, they have some of the highest rates of just general optimism. Um, but on the complete other side of that, they also have some of the highest rates of clinical depression.
2: Really? Yeah. So, Spring so, babies so, have higher yes. rates of clinical depression.
7: They do. Summer babies have some of the same gen- trends of general optimism that you find in spring babies, um, but they tend to have the highest rates of like rapid cycling between high and low moods. Mm. Not necessarily like full-on bipolar, but they tend to be a little more volatile. A little
2: moodier. Yeah,
7: a little moodier. Hmm. Um, fall babies, I feel like they really sort of got the jackpot on this one. <laughs> um they have low, lower levels of depression. They're less likely to develop bipolar disorder, though they do tend to be slightly more irritable than others. But I feel like irritability is a pretty decent trade-off for no depression or bipolar disorder.
2: It's interesting um, because these are personality traits. So, and they believe a lot of times you're kind of born with your personality. So, this is this would be just your temperament, your moodiness, your—and what's interesting too is some of these then. You might be moody, but it could also be interpreted clinically as some of bipolar, yeah, or whatever. So exactly. It, it, I mean, it, you might. This is starting to border maybe on where you know all the gray area of the mental health science.
7: And I mean, there's so much of that gray, yeah. gray area. Um, but but it,
2: it, but it is interesting. It
7: really is, and you know they, they look at sort of you know why is that, and they're not. They don't have really firm saying for sure it's because of this and this. Yeah. Um, but some of them are just. The health of the mother highly influences the health and development of her child. Sure, um, you know a mother who uh, is, you know, pregnant during winter and is suffering from seasonal affective disorder—that's going to affect her general health, and that's going yeah. to affect how her baby. Her grows. chemistry exactly. is going
2: to cook the baby a certain way, and if she's homebound because she can't get out because of weather and. Mm -hmm. Or summer, you're always out and busy and you got a million things to do.
7: Exactly. And even just eating trends. Mm -hmm. Those vary significantly throughout the year. There's times of the year when we tend to eat better than others, and that's going to have an influence.
2: That makes sense. Makes sense. Interesting research. See? McKenna, just a mind bender. Uh, We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back. Continue learning to be better. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: It's a house of bows.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. thought you were taking a sabbatical or something. Yeah, I was having a hard time getting my microphone. You know, I had to get my headset on, and then the microphone, I had to get... The microphone is right in front of you on an extendable arm. I know, but I had to reach for it. Had to get my arm, I don't know, two feet up there. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, oh boy, have we got a fun show for you today, and uh, we've got so much to talk about. So much to talk about, including, by the way, we are celebrating Banana Day. Thank you. Thank you both.
3: Bananas are pretty great. However, hmm? if you were to mix them in a shake or a uh, smoothie, yummy, which is also great, but you have to be careful not to use too much because bananas are so overwhelming. What do you mean? meaning if you use too much all you're going to taste is the banana. And well, what if there're strawberries? Strawberries. I mean,
2: bananas can't compete with strawberries. Oh, can't they? No. When you play, when you need to have a pretend phone, how often do you reach for a strawberry? Well, usually I'll just use my pinky finger and my thumb. What if you're what if you were in a splint or your hand was in a brace? That is a good point. Well, then
3: I would, st- I would probably have a hard time holding reach, that banana.
2: Then your friend could hold it. Bananas are the only food that makes a great fake phone. I'll give you that.
4: A graham cracker could work. But a fruit. We're talking fruit
3: here. We're talking fruit. A graham cracker?
2: He said food. Sorry, I meant fruit. Oh, okay,
4: which is funny.
3: Cause, yeah, a graham cracker looks way much more like a phone than a banana.
2: And not, see what not I a did flip phone.
3: with my pinky and my thumb. Yeah, I was just thinking nobody uses a flip phone. Flip phone anymore?
2: Oh, don't they? No, my dad does. Really? Are you are you dissing Terry's dad?
4: There's a lot of people. A lot, a lot of kids <sighs> in junior high that have so flip phones because their parents won't get them a smartphone.
2: It's, I I kind of miss the flip phone. I it do was too. fun. That's how, you know, you, when I was a spy, I used to always have a flip phone, just pay for it, just a quick little one. I'd buy a Sev, and then His burner phone. And then my burner phone. And then I would break it in half yeah. so that I couldn't be followed by my other spies that were spying on me. Sounds like
3: every episode of Breaking Bad. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have to give me this, though the banana is probably the least
2: respected fruit.
3: Because it's the punchline in every joke. it is. You slip on a banana peel. And
2: when was the last time, honestly, you even slipped on a banana peel? Mm. You're more likely to slip on a graham cracker. If you're keeping score.
3: People are more uh, environmentally conscious these days. So you don't see
2: as many banana peels lying around. Yes, they recycle them. See, this is the deep insight you don't get on any other show. Other shows would not have spent any time on that. Today's a really special day, too, because it is the day that uh, both Jeffrey and I are going to the dentist. Not together. Not together. That would be weird. Not the same dentist. But somehow we timed our dental visit on the same day. Hmm. So tomorrow we will both come back with our dental stories of what went right, what went wrong, what should we continue to do, what should we stop doing, what should we start doing at the dentist. The
4: embarrassment of, do you floss?
3: Yes, No,
2: I don't. And we compare our goodie bags, and maybe we can make some trades. Yeah. Mm. Okay, let's do that. You're on. This is going to be tons of fun. Today, also, we're going to be talking about pornography addiction. And uh, it, it, can you be addicted to pornography? Our, I think our next guest will have some incredible insight on it as we, as we get into it. It's more and more accessible. I mean, it used to be. You know, you had to go to the seedy part of town to go get this magazine, and then you had to hide it, and it was really harder to do. Now your kids on that cute little phone that you keep handing them to get, give them attention and to keep them distracted, now they can pull up those seedy parts of town and watch anything they shouldn't be watching. And we'll talk about the impact it's having on our communities and our lives and our wives and our marriages and our families. That'll be up next. Also, we'll be doing a lot of uh, headlines, including our our own Shik Shumway's back. Uh, Shik had a little problem a while ago uh, where he had his jaw wired shut.
3: No, I think that was Ron Brokaw. Oh, it was? Yeah. Remember, he got hit by the professional Quidditch player. Got punched in the face. Oh,
2: that's right. No, but didn't a car fall on Shikshomway? Oh, you're right. Yeah. So, but he's back. So this is exciting. And we sent him to go interview a a construction worker, I believe in Florida, about, um, because there's a lot of profanity on construction sites. I can't wait to hear this. Although I doubt I'll be able to hear it. Yeah. Chick always has trouble with his audio. So so we'll get to that up next as well. But uh, first, let's get to Terry South and the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly told anyone who dislikes
4: the way his department is handling immigration to change the law themselves or, quote, shut up. This is according to mm-hmm. Politico. Under President Trump, arrests of immigrants with clean police records who are living in the United States illegally have more than doubled. The Department of Homeland Security has even floated, mobilizing up to 100,000 National Guard troops in an effort to capture unauthorized immigrants. Kelly's harsh remarks were made at a George Washington University uh, speech, I guess he was giving, where Kelly expressed frustration that if lawmakers do not like the laws we enforce, that we are charged to enforce, that we are sworn to enforce, then they should have the courage and the skill to change those laws. Yes, yes. Kelly added, otherwise they should shut up and
2: support the men That's and women right. on the front lines. It's your law. You made the law. Yeah. And then they complain about it. So go and ahead and, and they're it. too afraid to change it or they don't know how to change it or they can't change it. Right.
8: So be quiet.
2: Just doing my job. Apparently he's getting frustrated.
4: <laughs> the man accused of murdering four white men in Fresno, three of them in a Tuesday morning shooting spree repeatedly referred to quote, white devils in online postings. Police believe 23-year-old Corey... Ali Muhammad's killing spree was a hate crime, not an act of terrorism. The suspect's father, Vincent Taylor, tells the LA Times that his son believed black people and white people were at war and a battle was about to take place. Police say Muhammad, who surrendered peacefully after the shooting uh, of three men, had told them he decided to kill as many people as he could after he was identified as a suspect in a fatal shooting of a Motel 6 security guard last week. Mm. This according to the Fresno Bee. Wow. Just randomly drove into downtown Fresno and started shooting people. At one point, he pointed the gun at two Hispanic women in a car that had a kid in the back seat, decided not to l- let them go, and then moved on to the next person. He he also complicated things by yelling uh, Allah Akbar, which yeah, caused the, that's the a terrorism thoughts, but he was just, I guess, having some fun. In the middle of his spree. Hmm. In other news, on April 6th, Ivanka Trump's company won provisional approval from the Chinese government for three new trademarks, giving it monopoly rights to sell Ivanka brand jewelry, bags, and spa services in the world's second largest economy. That night, the first daughter and her husband, Jared Kushner, sat next to the president of China and his wife for a state dinner at Mar a Lago, her father's Florida resort. The scenario underscores how difficult it is for Trump, uh, Ivanka Trump, who has tried to distance herself from the brand that bears her name to separate business from politics in her new position at the White House. It was announced March 20th that Trump, one of her father's closest advisors, would get a West Wing office, government-issued communication devices, and a security clearance to receive classified information, though she would not have an official title. As the first daughter crafts her political career, her brand is flourishing. Despite boycotts and several stores limiting her merchandise, U.S. imports, almost all of them from China, shot up an estimated 166% last year, while sales hit record levels in 2017. Further causing question as you have your business and then you have politics and are as one benefiting the other. Yeah. Ethics violations. Is this one of them? Especially when you get three trademarks in China when you're sitting next to the president. Yeah, that's a little China. strange.
2: And the timing, again, I think this happens all the time, everywhere. But it's, the Trumps have a really bad timing issue. And I guess it's just because they don't have a million people vetting their stuff. I don't know. but
4: I, I'm not sure.
2: Just It can't happen when you're sitting at the table and then all of a sudden, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, these money comes copyrights in. come in.
4: So that's being looked at. We'll see what happens of there. Course. And finally, the long-awaited arrival of April, the giraffe's baby, has made Animal Adventure Park in New York the second most live-viewed channel in YouTube history. I looked it up. April's live stream of more than 232 million live views, 7.6 billion minutes of live watch time since February – Second only to League of Legends eSports, people watching people playing video games, which has oh. been around since 2012. The channel had its biggest day on Saturday with more than 14 million live views. More than 1.2 million viewers were watching the live stream simultaneously on YouTube when April gave birth Saturday morning, making it one of the top five most watched moments in YouTube history.
2: See, this is how bad my timing is. I watched before she gave birth, so I never saw the birth. Right. I watched like a week before. I just saw – I saw a link and I'm like, oh, a, a pregnant giraffe? That's got to be fun to look at. <laughs> and you couldn't tell.
4: And there was the moral discussion on whether everyone should be watching the birth because it's kind of – Yeah. You know, this this sack of a, of a giraffe drops out of its mom like six feet yeah, to the ground. a giraffe sack. Yeah. Well, people were concerned like the, the giraffe drops – the baby giraffe drops six feet to the ground.
2: Well, that's – I know. That's how you get it to wake up and – cry. No, well, that's they, animal cruelty. They,
4: they said that's how it breaks out of the sack. Yeah. Right? The sack breaks open as it hits the ground, so that's how it gets out. So, so hold on, people have problems with this? Well, they're worried about the animal's safety. Is it going to break its legs? Hold on, it's these are spindly. the exact same
2: people that slow down on the freeway to see if somebody's been, oh, of course, you know, decapitated in a car accident, Yeah, but they don't want to look at a yeah. giraffe sack drop six feet to well, the ground. What happens if your child sees it? Exactly. We have audio of the giraffe sack. <laughs> But what's funny, too, is it's just like playing crack the egg on the trampoline with your kids. Mm. You know, they just they just, you know, hold on to their legs and then your job is to crack the egg and bounce them until they crack. It's not a big deal. Okay. Parents have been dropping this stuff forever. It takes about point five seconds to do that, by the way. <laughs> it does. And then like three hours in the emergency room. Oh, people are funny. Aren't they just the funniest? What are we going to do with these kids nowadays? Ah <sighs> giraffe sack, by the way, that's a brand new sponsor of the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't it like a it's it's a it's a beanbag chair. Yes. That we'll go with that. Um great story out of Quebec. A driver charged after the police find um sus, uh find that their suspension of the car was made from wooden logs and chicken wire. A driver who used wooden logs and chicken wire to reinforce the vehicle's suspension was ticketed and had his car impounded by police following a traffic stop in Quebec. The police said they pulled the 1999 Toyota Tercel over on Sunday after noticing the car didn't have any working brake lights. After pulling the car over, they discovered the 28-year-old driver had no proof of insurance and an alcoholic beverage in the front seat, police said. A, close, a closer inspection of the car also revealed that the uh, three of the four tires showed signs of advanced wear, including no tread in some spots. It was missing its windshield wipers and had rear suspension held in place by wooden logs. It basically was being kept, uh, it's, it's the only thing keeping the vehicle up were these wooden logs. And, which by the way, th- this car has been out there forever. It's called the Lincoln Log Town Car. Oh, I love Lincoln Logs. Uh, Lincoln Log Town Cars are like one of the nicest cars you can
3: buy. They take forever to put together, though. Yeah. You know, and you have to do the
2: alternate yeah. stacking and... But they're, you know, and then once you get them, and then the bailing wire. Once you get them all wired up, they're they're great. Except one did catch on fire, and I think they were calling that one a firebird. And then on top, you put like the little orange chimney, the yeah. plastic orange <laughs> chimney. <laughs> the funny thing about this car is we see them in the parking lot out here with students all day long. That's what they're all driving. Every student has had a bad car before. A Come student on. will drive anything. In fact, McKenna Bowes, one of our own, her car, her car is held together. With logs and bailing wire as well. And I think she has double A batteries in there yeah. instead of the traditional. Yeah. She had a battery problem. The other yeah. Day. Uh, we told you that our own Shik Shumway was going to uh, be making an appearance. He's, you know, for empty news reporting, Matt Townsend News, we, we always like to send out the very best. Uh, and because we can't afford them, we've got guys like Shik Shumway and Ron Brokaw, Tom Brokaw's third cousin, twice removed and uh, we 've asked there's a story that came out about a contractor that uh, has banned foul language at a school 's construction site because the children were um, were struggling right uh, the the sign he put up a sign saying, "No foul language has been spotted at a site at the the new library being built on temple university 's campus. The station asked about the sign and was told nobody complained about the bad language instead instead Madison construction." Uh, company, said it put up the sign so workers will keep it clean around the students and uh, anyone, anyone else that just happens to walk by. So we wanted to send our own roving reporter, Shik Shumway, to the scene. Uh, Shik is going to interview. It's a really interesting audio because he's going to interview some of the guys on the scene, except the weird thing about it is I don't think they're uh, following the rules of the sign. They're adjusting. And but so, it's going to take some time. Now, I don't know if you heard the tape, Jeff, but you, you need to make sure that – because there is some profanity. So I need you to b- make sure we're blocking it all. Right? All right. Let's okay? see. Just get ready with the block button. Are you ready? Check someone. MT News Team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. Wow. Again, I um, thank you, Jeff, for catching
3: all the. What the else vanity. can they do besides put up a sign? I mean, maybe they need to start finding them. Well, yeah, but forget that for
2: a minute. Why can't Shook get his audio right?
3: See, the audio was so bad, I couldn't tell if he was interviewing construction workers that were having a profanity problem or if all of a sudden
2: Schick has started
3: using (laughs) profane language.
2: And what else I think happened is I don't think he was using a microphone. I think that was the microphone from the camera. Oh. And the camera was on the other side of the construction site, apparently. That is a lot of construction, too. Yeah. A lot. Well, it's good to have Schick back. It's too bad we didn't hear a word he said. And apparently the sign is not working in Philadelphia. Oh, well, you know, they're trying. They're trying. That's what we're trying to do, too, is keeping it clean, uh, helping clean up America and the world. Up next, folks, we're going to be talking about pornography and its impacts on our families and our lives and also addiction. Is it an addiction? Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. In today's world of technology, there is unlimited access to information, movies, news, and videos. People are able to make connections with friends from all over the world. However, in recent years, we've also seen a spike in pornography consumption and now pornography addictions. Here to help us navigate and understand more about this addiction and, and all the issues around pornography is Vonna Davis, Executive Director of the Utah Coalition Against Pornography. Vana, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: It's a pleasure to be here, Matt.
2: The, a great website. So anybody that needs to go get resources or you just held a conference and all the conference speakers' videos are now on the website, just go to utahcoalition.org, right?
0: That's right. We're happy to share what we did at our conference with people.
2: Talk to us about um, t- about pornography, I guess. I mean, a lot of times I think, and I hear it all the time, you know, it is what it is. Men will be men. Boys will be boys. But... Women are involved in pornography as well. There's a lot of, I think, things going on that we don't, I think we think it's kind of a victimless crime or a victimless issue. But the reality is I see it in my own uh, coaching life. There is a lot of people struggling with pornography in every variety of ways.
0: You're so right. And we've had the internet available in homes for over 20 years now. And we know there's been lots of benefits from this technology and being able to be connected with the world, but at the same time, this 20 years worth of easy availability to internet pornography has really been pretty destructive. Yeah. You know, at this point, we have so much evidence of the harm of pornography that we've reached a tipping point. We really can't dismiss the damage being done to individuals, to children, to families, even to our society from pornography.
2: What 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 is the damage specifically? What's happening that and why do we need to worry about it? It's pernicious, but I think a lot of us don't know how big of a deal it is.
0: Right. Well, first to understand the scope of the problem, a recent study found that one out of 3 Americans is searching for pornography at least once a month, mm-hmm. and that's all genders over the age of 13. Wow. And of course, some groups are much higher. So if you look at teenage boys and young adult men, it's like 67% who are regularly viewing it. And some people are surprised to find that 33% of the teenage girls and young adult women are also viewing A third pornography.
2: are still viewing it. Right. Yeah, we think it's a male problem.
0: Right. It's, it's an equal opportunity destroyer. <laughs> and, and
2: I guess, too, what I think of is developmentally, a 13-year-old is not developmentally ready to handle or even understand anything they're seeing there.
0: Right. And not only that, but... For children and teenagers, their brains are in a stage where they're more at risk and vulnerable of brain changes. And this is one of the effects of pornography, that there's growing evidence for. There's over 30 research studies that are showing that pornography has detrimental effects on brain function and structure.
2: Really? Really. So it actually impacts the, the actual brain structure, the physiology, as well as the um the the patterns the habits we create in the brain.
0: Right. So we are finding three major changes in the brain and we call those sensitivity, desensitivity and hypofrontality. So those first two might sound like they're counter to yeah. each other, but sensitivity means that a pornography user becomes more sensitive to cues in their environment that trigger an intense craving to go view pornography. Mm. And then desensitivity refers to the effect of when someone's been viewing pornography over time, they become um, need more um, harder material to get the same effect. They'll move on to more deviant and hardcore pornography to get that. And then hypofrontality just means the areas of our brain that are in charge of decision making and impulse control they some brain scans have actually shown diminishing areas in that brain oh really and so pornography users have less impulse control
2: and so which which comes first the lack of impulse control which then begets a habit Mm -hmm. or the habit which then begets the lack of impulse control
0: I'm sure it's a cycle that feeds on each pattern, other. It's the pattern, isn't it? Right, it's a pattern.
2: So this is, so again, we sit there and, oh, I'm just, it's just a, it's just a picture. It's, but no, it's impacting how you get stimulated, how you see everything as that, your ability to manage your own uh, reactions and feelings. It's impacting you.
0: Exactly. And it not only has like these physical effects we're seeing in brains, but we know from research that it has a very negative impact on relationships. And yeah. what do we get most of our happiness from in right. life? It's our relationships. And pornography users have a very difficult time managing healthy relationships.
2: Because I guess your part of it is that we, we misplace pornography as being intimacy, mm-hmm. and it's not intimacy. No. It, it's not a true connected relationship.
0: Right. There's no real person there. Yeah. I would say that pornography... Is driven by loneliness and creates more lonely, loneliness. Mm. In fact, studies show that pornography users are less satisfied with their relationships. They're less satisfied with their sex lives, their real, real um, sex lives, and they're less satisfied with their partners.
2: Interesting. And then, and then their partners, when they hear this is going on, they a lot of times internalize it, like something's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. They're not good enough. And but it, it, it just it almost seems like it. I guess the same thing would happen if all you ever looked at were food blogs. Yeah. (laughs) In a weird way, you'd never be satisfied with Mm -hmm. how your food looked, how your food Mm -hmm. tasted, because you'd always see that there was something better, something different. It's crazy.
0: Right. A person who's an active pornography user, really tragically, they can never be satisfied with one person because they've trained their brain to need something new every few minutes. And even that person on the screen will get boring in a few mm. minutes.
2: Is that why we call it an addiction then? Because right. it starts to negatively impact our life.
0: Right. Exactly. And so the American Society of Addiction Medicine has some um, explanation of, of qualities of an addiction. And so we would say that um, it involves an inability to stop looking or stop using something. This applies to all kinds of addiction. Yeah. You know, attempt to stop. Stop and being unable to stop, a loss of behavioral control, and a diminishing recognition of the impact on your life and on your relationships.
2: Boy, so because th- there's always been this discussion of if pornography really is an addiction, but by the criteria, it seems to meet the mark.
0: Right. Yeah. And there's much more evidence of that today than there has been. And so. Many states or or several states have already declared that pornography is a public health crisis. Mm. And these are just resolutions, but they've had a great effect of creating dialogue nationally about pornography and bringing attention to the research that's showing these effects.
2: You you bring up... Again, I guess so. Just only a few states have kind of taken this on and said, "This is mm-hmm. this is a crisis. This is something that needs to be dealt with." Utah is one of those. Mm-hmm. What led you and the Utah Coalition Against Pornography? What what made you come to this point where you are like, "We have got to jump on this. We've got to do something."
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's just um, again the the public. Um, Recognition. There's more and more research and more and more people working on this issue. And we finally have had enough evidence that we can say this really is affecting our society. We say it's a public health issue because it can no longer be managed by an individual or a family. You cannot protect your children from being exposed to pornography because it's become so accessible and so mainstream. Yeah. So we have to work together. Um, by calling it a public health crisis, we recognize that government, businesses, schools, churches, nonprofits, all the players in society need to come together to work on this issue. And we need to hold the influences accountable for those, those organizations that are spreading pornography.
2: I mean, because you, you can. I mean, there's laws that can be made. There's certain restrictions that can be put on the Internet. I mean, I've heard people talk about – instead of, uh, you know, kind of cleaning up the web where you could designate a certain area of the web, an XXX site instead of a WWW site, Mm -hmm. all porn would have to be on XXX sites. Are any of these ideas realistic? Are any of them going anywhere?
0: So a lot of them are more challenging in the United States because of our First Amendment and what people interpret our First Amendment to mean. We already have Federal laws that prohibit the distribution of obscenity, which is hardcore pornography, but those laws are not being enforced. Yeah. So there's a lot more that could be done even with our existing laws. Yeah. You know, some of the technology ideas, um, another one that's coming forward is requiring mobile phone providers to put a filter on the phone when they sell it to. Any a child oh, or it's going 18. to be used by a child. Oh, that's great. Yeah,
2: I love that. Because as a parent, I would love to find ways to effectively restrict it. And yet I don't. And I found a few, but they're so complicated. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, later in the show, we'll, we'll get some ideas from you for how to protect the family more. Right. Um, so th- it really is. It's it's an issue. In fact, it's an issue even now. A, a lot of uh, actors, movie stars, kind of national uh, people are highlighting in a in a campaign called "Fight the New Drug," mm-hmm. and which is a national campaign. So I guess I guess for you, that's just more voices sharing the same the same battle cry,
0: right? And it's been exciting to be involved in this issue over the last few years because more and more resources and more people are speaking up and saying this isn't right and we can do something to, to help people.
2: Yeah. Why do you see that some people are affected differently by it? Because um, this it seems like everybody will have seen something mm-hmm. inappropriate, especially now in this day and age without even really looking for it, you're going to come across it, but some it really grabs onto and others might be able to manage it a little better. What do you sense is the difference?
0: You're right. Not everyone who views pornography is going to be affected in the same way. And pornography addiction is a factor of not only being exposed to it, but other emotional, Mm -hmm. social, mental, spiritual issues. You know, most people who... um, are struggling with pornography, pornography, need to learn better ways of dealing with stress in healthier, healthier ways. Stress can drive people to that. Yeah, I, I actually heard anxiety
2: and stress is one of the predictors of use.
0: Right. Right. That they, They've learned to turn to pornography to help them feel better. And they've also tr- used pornography to feel more connected or an attempt to feel connected when they mm. feel disconnected from people and their relationships are difficult. I hear boredom
2: is another one. mm -hmm. And so in a weird way, it's kind of a – it's a crazy mix because if all of a sudden – if you have a little anxiety and you would never go smoke a drug or do something illegal, then a a legal way to get that dopamine hit in your brain would be pornography.
0: Right. It seems seems easy at the time. It's easy.
2: It's there and it Mm -hmm. just – boy, it eliminated some of that stress I was feeling. Or if you're Mm -hmm. bored – And've already, and you're just surfing the web at night, hey, let's just look up that one thing.
0: hmm: Too many people have gotten trapped that way. Yeah, and that's part of why we are trying to educate the public so they'll understand the consequences that you know, starting down this, this road can lead to. They mm. need to be able to make informed decisions, just like we warn people about the effects of tobacco, yeah. and other health, health issues
2: yep and um the other I guess caveat or not caveat, but oddity of pornography is there's also a very, very basic human drive and need, mm-hmm. which which seems to like every child is curious a, a, and there's this natural need, but then all of a sudden you're giving it a fix that is an unnatural fix
0: mm-hmm. that's an unhealthy,
2: unnatural fix, right at an age when the child doesn't know how to discern.
0: Right, and so we can teach children that those um, sexual desires that they'll have as they grow up are natural and healthy, but using pornography is an unhealthy and potentially really damaging way to use that, and we need to talk in really open ways. So. So children understand the difference
2: let 's come back and talk about how to talk to our kids about it as well vana as, mm-hmm. as how to protect them. What are some things we can be doing we 're speaking with Vanna Davis, who is uh, walking us through um, the the dangers the true dangers of pornography and its impact on our lives. Go to her website, utahcoalition.org. She's from the Utah Coalition Against Pornography. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back in a few minutes giving you the solutions and tools to create a uh, a happier and safer family life. Stick with us. friends of the Matt Townsend Show in studio with us is Vanna Davis. She's the executive director of the Utah Coalition Against Pornography, uh, UCAP, it's called. You can go to their website, utahcoalition.org, where they have a list of resources and tools and uh, videos, everything you need from, um, they just had a conference as well. So you can go watch all of the, the presenters presenting the information, the latest research on pornography and addiction and and really prevention, how to, how to protect your family. So, Vana, a lot of this comes from the fact that you're a mom and you wanted to protect your kids.
0: Absolutely. So our children are now young adults. They're grown up, which means that when they were growing up is when the Internet became available. And from the very beginning, we knew that pornography could be a problem. So when we first got the Internet, we got a service called MSTAR, which was already filtered, and we thought we had the problem Solved. Solved. Yeah. And um, as we discovered over the years, their friends were showing them things. They were seeing things at friends' houses, playing video games and things like that. And we just realized, you have to talk to your kids about this. And we didn't know how. And there weren't resources for people. So that's really how I got into this. So then
2: you're like, let's put these solutions together. What are the best ways to approach this with our children? What do we say and how do we say it?
0: Yeah. So... Sometimes I hear people say, how do I protect my children or how do I lock down the Internet? Yeah. And what they're asking is, how do I keep my children from ever seeing pornography? And we have to recognize the world has taken away the option to raise innocent children anymore, but we can raise wise children. Mm. So we want to prepare kids so that when they see pornography, they know exactly what to do. And they will not experience problems from pornography because we've helped them. So we tell parents, yeah, right, wisdom. So we tell parents to follow five steps, and the five steps are first to teach children what pornography is in age-appropriate ways. And as you can imagine, the first thing parents' reaction is. I don't want my kids to be curious. I don't want to talk to them about pornography because <laughs> they might go searching for more to learn more about it. Right. And we just have to recognize kids are curious. Of course they are. And they're going to hear these words. They're going to see content in advertising. And they will go search to learn more if you aren't the person who's taught them. So let's make sure we're the first people and we're 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 doing giving that talk because every time we talk to our children, they'll be safer. Yeah. So, yeah. But
2: don't be naive that they're not already talking about it. And when uh-huh. and, and they are talking about it, but they're talking about it with the wrong terms, with the I mean, with the misconstrued ideas, mm-hmm. they're misinformed, mm-hmm. but they're talking about it because their friends brought it up or they their friends showed them something.
0: Right. So you can even start as young as three and four years old and tell children, If you see pictures or videos of people without their clothes on, come and tell mom or dad right away. It's that simple. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be that scary. You don't have to use the word pornography and you don't have to, your kids don't have to know what sex is. Right. But as they grow, you're going to build on what they're learning. Okay. Um, I highly recommend a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures by Kristen Jensen. She has one for kids that are like 6 to 12, and she has a junior version for kids like 3 to 6. And these are picture books that you sit down with your kids and talk about very clearly like what pornography is. It's a very safe book. You don't have to worry about, you know, anything sketchy. But um, it talks about how your brain works, what addiction looks like, you know, at an age-appropriate level teaches them what to do so for even young children you teach them run
2: get away from the tell yeah yeah and and i mean because you could spend a half you could spend five minutes trying to get out of it
0: Mm -hmm. and shut
2: it down instead just turn your computer off or just run away
0: Mm -hmm. right and so as your children get older then they're going to want a more complete description of yeah so a good definition is Pornography is material that clearly and openly shows or describes nudity or sexual activity, and it's designed to create sexual feelings. And even older grade school children can appreciate that because, yeah. you know, they're, they're seeing things like that in the media. And then it gives you an opportunity to talk about things that they might have seen that fit that description.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Uh, what, what are some of the other steps? So we teach what it is at, at the appropriate age and the appropriate ways. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you teach them what the harmful effects of pornography are. So, again, young children can understand that it can affect their brain and the way that their brain works. And they can get an easy explanation of what addiction is. And as um, kids grow, teenagers really care about justice, what's fair and what's right. And as you explained, that pornography is – it's violent and brutal and um, it's very um, disrespectful of women especially. They care about those things. And also teenagers care about – they care about their relationships. So helping them understand that pornography can – Take away the option of real love that it can destroy their purpose in life. So instead of spending time doing good things and contributing to the world, people get drawn into just viewing pornography and thinking about it all the time. And then it takes away your freedom, which is also really important to teenagers, right? Right. So understanding that pornography can limit your freedom to think and act the way you want to can be important for teenagers.
2: And in marriage, it takes away trust and the ability Mm. to communicate and the ability to just believe you're safe. Yep. It's, it 's I mean it really it 's all ages, and that 's neat that you can show us a way to teach it to people of all ages and and these are even conversations I guess we should be having in in our marriages with our spouse
0: absolutely and if um you haven 't had a conversation like it's easy to say, you know what, this is a subject that's really coming to the surface. It's in the news all the time. I'm always hearing people talk about it. Like, what have, what's your experience been yeah. in your life? We've never talked about this before. Yeah, you know?
2: that's huge. That's a big deal. Uh-huh. And again, um, your goal is to – you made a great point about – we don't need to shame somebody if they've if they've been involved in it we 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 need to we need to talk about the fact that we live in a culture where it's not safe anymore mm-hmm. and there's people that are taking advantage of you know the the weaknesses the 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 innocence of people
0: right shame is a big driver of addiction and it keeps people stuck and it keeps them silent and from reaching out for help so we could do a lot to improve the way that we talk about pornography and make it feel safe yeah. and really put the blame where it belongs, which is on pornography producers and those distributing it. Right, right. And mm-hmm. and
2: I guess, too, the, the culture we've created in the country where it's just too easy to just let it Keep mm-hmm. happening.
0: Right. It's just expanding because we have not put yeah. regulations in place.
2: So true. So we teach what, uh, we teach what pornography is at, any, at, at, at appropriate ages. We teach the harmful effects that it has on the people. What else do we teach?
0: We teach them what to do when they see pornography. So they have a very clear plan. This is just like a fire drill. Yeah. So that in the very moment, they're prepared to react quickly. So they um, know that they need to get away from it. And that they need to talk to someone that they trust, hopefully a parent or someone else that they trust. Yeah. For some reason, talking to someone else really helps uh, take away that power of pornography. Yeah. 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 I
2: guess it makes it evaporate because it's no longer a secret.
0: Right. Yeah. And so – and as kids get older, help them practice what they're going to say when friends show them pornography. Or if they get a text asking them to send nude pictures or any other, like, request for sexual activity because that's so common. Yeah. Help oh. them just be able to say, I don't want to see that. I don't want to participate in that. Yeah.
2: And and I see it with my own clients again. They don't know how to say no. Mm-hmm. And they want to say no. Their values want them to say no. Everything wants to say no, but they don't know how without, like, losing status with their boyfriend or their girlfriend.
0: Right. So – Having it become second nature, they know exactly what to say.
2: Practice it as a family and as parents. Uh, What else should we teach or do?
0: There's a lot of technology that we can use, like filters and parental controls on devices. Um, Of course, we cannot control all exposure, but we want to use it as much as can to reduce their exposure. And I say it's just like washing our hands so we know that washing our hands will not prevent us from being exposed to any germs. Right. But it reduces it to a amount that our immune system can deal with the germs that we encounter. That's
2: a great idea. It's a great example. Yeah. What what are some tools that we use? Like do you, how do we what filters do you recommend? What are out there that can be used and how are they used on phones versus mm-hmm. on your laptops or your desktops?
0: So there are so many kinds now. There's router-based filters, which when you set that up in your home, then every uh, internet-connected device in your home will be filtered. But then when you walk out of the home with your mobile phone or your laptop, not. it's not protected anymore. So then you can use device-dependent filters on those. So, and you can use both of them, actually. So then when friend, your kids' friends come into your home, if you have a router-based Filter than your friends, their Can't friends see it are at also your house. Uh, and then there's another type of um, software that I would like more people to know about it called accountability software. Covenant Eyes is an example of this. And so this works better for teens, young adults, and, and adults who want mm-hmm. help to manage what they're viewing. And so it sends a report to someone that they choose hmm. of all the sites they've seen and then they have someone who can hold them accountable. I love
2: that. Yeah. That's brilliant. Like right. why not, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's based on someone's choice to to be accountable and to be honest. But That's great. it really helps. That's you know. such
2: a great idea. Um, so there's the, there's the filters, and I guess if they go to utahcoalition.org, there's more information there mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so once we kind of get uh, more filters, more tools, what else do we teach them? What else is the key?
0: Then we're going to follow up over time. So we can't just have one conversation because children and teenagers are being uh, confronted with this kind of media and just, you know, things from their friends all the time. So we want to be talking all the time. So following up and saying, hey, since the last time we talked, have you seen anything like what we talked about? And I love it when parents will sit down and listen, not just yeah. come across as the exports, listen right. to me, but say, hey, what has it been like for you to grow up in this culture that is hypersexualized?" and just listen to what it's like. Listen to what they're hearing at school, what their friends are doing.
2: That is such a, because a lot of times we just get into it's like the lecture. Okay, mm-hmm. mom and dad are now going to have the lecture, and we give you the lecture without understanding their experience of it. Right. And their experience is what's real.
0: Mm-hmm. So let will let's learn a start lot.
2: there. <laughs> what have you been experiencing in this culture mm-hmm. that's so sec- over sexualized? That way it's not about, so have you been deviant?
0: Are you a <laughs> sinner? Right. Yeah. Right, and make it safe for them to come forward over time. And they, it may take time to build some trust, especially if you have not talked to older kids or teenagers yet. Yeah. So parents can, like, if they can just be upfront with their kids mm-hmm. and say, I feel like I didn't do a very good job so far and I'd like to do better. Will you give me another chance? And then over time, prove that you are really trying to understand them and that you're going to be a safe place and then they'll feel more comfortable coming oh, forward with their experiences.
2: I love that. I really do. I think it's, and I think it's so critical. I, I, I see it everywhere. And, um, but we, we have this weird fear about talking about sex in general, let alone mm-hmm. pornography. As we wrap up, Vanna, what would you say? We call it the one thing. Um, if there's one thing that we could all do today, Uh, What would be the one thing that would have the greatest impact on our ability to protect our families from pornography?
0: I would think about where your family is right now. And first of all, make sure your heart is in the right place. Do you have compassion for people who are struggling with pornography? Because your attitude will come across Mm. in all of your communication with your family. So understanding the issue, understanding how difficult it is to live in this world Um, and Making sure that you really care and you really want to to help and then, you know, make a plan for how to start talking. Like talking is the first step to overcoming this problem. It really
2: is. And that compassion will then carry the conversation further. It will also carry it to the hearts mm-hmm. of the people that might need the change. If they feel like you're coming at it without compassion, they're going to shut you out. Right. They'll close down. They won't let you know because you might bring this up to your family and there might be one person in the family that's got a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're they're watching to see what kind of reaction am I going to get if I come forward yeah. with this. You know, I have to share a story with a young man who told me that, you know, as many young men, he got involved with pornography as a young person all through his teenage years and never told anyone And as a young adult, he finally really wanted help and decided to—he was driving with his mom in a car and decided to tell her. And I asked him, why did you decide to tell your mom? Yeah. And he said, because I thought she would be the person most likely to still love me. And unfortunately, she reacted— With crying and upset and blaming And he did not speak to anyone else about it For a long time We don't want that to happen no. We can do better than yeah, that Yeah,
2: we can We don't want to shut down the conversation uh, Vana, thank you so much for your insight Everybody go to utahcoalition.org You can start looking at all their resources Go watch the videos on there from their conferences Great stuff, great resources All there to, uh, to help you through it This is the Matt Townsend Show Helping you be the good in the world Stick with us, we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. What an important discussion. And again, couldn't reiterate more what uh, Vonna Davis was just saying. Lead with love, folks. People that are um, struggling with pornography, they're not just sick people. They're they're people that are hurting, and uh, they need to know their love. They need to know they're safe, and they, they, they need help. So reach forward with love. And again, go check out the website, utahcoalition.org. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, continue the discussion right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, accompanied by Jeffrey Liam Simpson, who's on the keyboard. Playing bass is Terry South. The whole band is here. We're ready to do it. Hour number three of the program. If you happen to have missed any of our shows, go to iTunes. Go to TuneIn, Stitcher, byuradio.org. We're everywhere. Download. Last hour, we talked about pornography addiction and uh, how to deal with it, how to talk to your kids about pornography.
3: looks like the governor of Utah, too, is the first one to come out and say that this is a public health crisis. It's a
2: public health crisis. Like, I mean, like Ebola-ish. That's when we use those words, health crisis, we're talking big deal, right? Pornography is a much bigger deal than we make it. Uh, Later today, we'll be talking with Dr. Brian Willoughby, uh, one of our favorites here from Brigham Young University. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life, and he will be talking to us about the 100% relationship guarantee. Mm, money back guarantee you, uh, maybe not your money back but the relationship <laughs> guarantee yeah I don't know what money you'd get back the money from your wedding from the engagement ring uh yeah you'll yeah I don't know you gave it to her I always found that weird that you know women get this really nice big diamond and guys just kind of get a band just a little gold band guys have always wanted to be in a band though yeah yeah totally true Woman's best friend's a diamond, they say. Man's best friend, a dog. Hmm. Where's the parody? Well, dogs live forever. All dogs go to heaven. Yeah, they do. Great point. Great point. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about. Some empty news as well. Some news you may not have even knew you. You didn't even know you needed to know it. Did Did you know know that? Did you know that? (laughs) We'll get to that fun as well. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Homeland Security
4: Secretary John Kelly on Tuesday said the risk of a terror attack against the U.S. is as threatening today as it was on September 11th, 2001. The threat wow. to our nation and our American way of life has not diminished, the Trump cabinet member said during a national security event speech at George Washington University. In fact, the threat has metastasized and decentralized, and the risk is as threatening today As it was that September morning, almost 16 years ago. Kelly also scorned critics of his agency's immigration enforcement policies. And uh, we talked about that last hour where he told everyone, lawmakers specifically stop complaining. He said, shut up and fix the laws if you don't like them. If not, get out of the way and let us do our jobs.
3: (laughs) We were never allowed to say that in my home growing up.
2: Right. Uh, We would would say, S-up. You S-up. Really? Yeah. So shut was a, a word you didn't use.
3: Yeah, we, seems, we could not use the word shut.
2: Mom, will you will you put the door to its closed
4: position? <laughs> will you unajar that door? <laughs> Republican uh, Senator Joni Ertz, she's the uh, the pig castrator. She was the yeah, one that talked about being a that hot tough castrator tough in her uh, campaign videos. She admitted that she was bothered by President Trump's frequent trips to his Mar-a-Lago resort during a town hall on Tuesday. Uh, NBC reports she says I do not wish Trump I do wish that Trump would spend more time in DC she says that's what the white, that's why we have the White House yeah so he has a place to be Yeah, right? it's a place where he can sleep and stuff I think that it's been bothering not just me but some other members of our caucus to date President Trump has spent almost a third of his presidency at what his administration calls the Winter White House It costs about a million dollars to travel from D.C. to Palm Beach, Florida on Air Force One. And while the White House declines to put a price tag on Trump's frequent travels, some estimates have it already as high as over $10 million. I don't even think he has a bed
3: at the White House. I think he just crashes on the couch.
4: Yeah, I hear he just wanders from room to room all night. Yeah. According to a report in the Wall Street Journal, Tuesday night Fox News is preparing to cut ties with Bill O'Reilly. The news came on the heels of a number of reports suggesting that O'Reilly's days are numbered at the cable channel. According to an earlier report on CNN, representatives for Fox and O'Reilly have started conversations about an exit for the embattled host, who has been on vacation in Italy. Sources in O'Reilly's camp deny that this was the case. However, the network's parent company, 21st Century Fox, will hold a board meeting Thursday in which O'Reilly is expected to be discussed. The Murdoch family, who controls 21st Century Fox, is not commenting on the matter. The recent O'Reilly problems stem from a New York Times report that detailed undisclosed settlement payments that uh, O'Reilly, f- the uh, deal or, uh, with O'Reilly, that Fox News had to make. Uh, they paid to women who accused O'Reilly of sexual harassment and verbal abuse. Also, another. Accuser called Fox News They or Not Fox, but 21st Century Fox Set up a hotline huh. For employees to call anonymously If they have any sort of harassment claims They got another claim against O'Reilly Is the report so oh That's what boy. sparked all this recent activity So we'll see how that goes Because he is right now The number one news program
2: Yeah, he's huge On television Huge Well, cable television Yeah, but so, wow I mean, but you, you, you can't have all these allegations? No,
4: they drag you down, especially when you just fired your the guy in charge of your news channel.
2: Yeah, you've had three
4: and scandals. Another, yeah. yeah, it's just bad. And finally, apparently, we are all using our phones while we drive. Really? Yeah. It used to be like there's some people. People don't really admit it, but there's new findings that show basically all of us use our phones at one point or another. It says, and now we have heard – you have the hard data. Zendrive is a uh, company that uses uh, data, and they analyze it to find out our driving habits. Okay. And they use that for marketing purposes. But they've studied the actual devices used among among 3.1 million drivers, over 5.6 billion miles of driving, and found that drivers on 88% of trips use their phones, at least some, with the average driver spending three and a half minutes per hour on the device. Boo! Boo! Hiss! Yes. So e- even glancing
2: at your phone. So that's called using it as if you glance you at it. You pick it, like you get an email, you pick it up, look at it, and put it yeah. away while you're driving. Well, I mean, it seems like there's different uses. Texting is one thing while you're driving. But like, you know, watching a Netflix series, yeah. that's not bad. Can you even use it
3: when you're at a stoplight? Are you allowed to use it when you're at a stoplight?
4: I'm not sure if that was counted in this. Hmm. But, I mean, you, you, you probably realize you're going 60 miles an hour down the
2: freeway. Is it worse Is it worse if you're going 70 and you use your phone and you text the word shut up? Yes. It is if you're I mean, S-S-Up. S up,
4: other, other findings, six of the ten states where people spent the least time on their device had laws imposing some restrictions. So ah. apparently laws work. What state? Do they say this is? It doesn't okay. say. It doesn't Darn it. However, Vermont, which had the highest rate of device usage, also has a law against doing so. So drivers spent nearly 7.5% of their time on their phones. Wow. Even though the laws are... You yeah, know, very strong. You don't do that. Oregon has the lowest rate of driver phone use, although drivers were still on their phones more than 3% of the time. Some important context, the numbers of traffic deaths have been increasing since 2015 after a 40-year decline with more than 40,000 people dying on the roads last year for the first time in a decade. Hmm. It is estimated that a two-second distraction increases the risk of a collision by 20 times. Wow. Wow. So even glancing away at a text and coming back, uh. oh. See, but
3: Oregon, their phones aren't even made out of, you know, the typical electronics that ours are made out of. Theirs are made out of like hemp and granola.
2: No, exactly. So they don't even, they can't even use them in the car. Well, maybe they're not, maybe they're not, when they, when they're on their phone and they're on their hemp, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Maybe they're, you know, doing something else has nothing to do with their phone. But it's got to impair their driving. Wow. Uh, that's kind of scary because I'm sure, honestly, I, I'm not a big believer in numbers because I think most numbers are not accurate. Right. So I'm going to bet it's higher than that.
4: The latest numbers are that 53% of the time, statistics are wrong 90% of the time.
2: Yeah. It wasn't, and that was a statistic. And 90% of statistics are made up on the spot. Like that right there. Right. Top of my head. Yep. Actually, I read it somewhere.
3: 90% of those statistics are 20% accurate. Yeah. 100% uh, of the time. Nine
2: out of 10 dentists say you ought to floss.
4: But you do get the idea like if someone just – like like I, when I'm driving down the road, I'll get an email or a text. I glance and come back to driving, right? Well, right. even that glance, how much how much distance have I traveled going, say, 60, 70 miles an hour oh. where you look away for a couple seconds and come back?
2: Like knows, when you when know? would you ever feel safe? Going 70 miles an hour And then taking your eye Off the ball Like that would never Yeah uh, You know Think about it If if in nature Before cars ever came around 500 years ago If your body was traveling 70 miles an hour I'm gonna bet You would've been fixated mm-hmm. On what was going on But now you're just Sitting there <laughs> like, So you're like eh, eh, you the, Pass the fries
3: Don't you think Baseball would be More interesting If the batters Were up there texting
2: While a, a <sighs> fastball Was coming at them 90 miles an hour If everybody had to Carry on a text conversation In the game mm. That would be so great because you could distract the batter by, like, texting him. Then you could, like, instead of, like, saying, pitcher's got a rubber arm, you just text it. You know, and then it vibrates. But you got to do it in shorthand in his back pocket.
4: Well, you'd send, like, emojis and stickers.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, okay, back to a, a crazy old lawsuit. We've heard of a similar suit like this before. A Florida inmate is now suing Verizon Wireless after he used uh, one of their phones company's stores to commit identity theft. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Uh, no, Jam- that guy's with Sprint now. Yeah, he moved. James <laughs> Leslie Kelly is serving a prison term in the U.S. state, uh, uh, I guess in Florida, for grand theft and criminal use of personal information. He's seeking $72 million in damages from Verizon. He claims Verizon was negligent when it allowed him to steal another man's identity. Hmm. Exactly. Kelly entered the store on May 7th in 2015, accessed the account of another man's name, James Kelly, to obtain $300 worth of products and services. So Verizon should not have allowed him to do that accidentally. Yeah. I think he's saying it was too easy. It was too easy. Yeah. And so it's their fault that I stole it and then got caught and now I'm serving prison time. So you owe me $72 million. I mean, it makes total sense.
4: Right. Absolutely.
2: Kelly is filing a suit uh, of his own, claiming that Verizon violated his civil rights by allowing him to commit the crimes. The 37-time convicted criminal alleges that the store and its employees were criminally negligent in failing to stop the identity theft ruse. Kelly's complaint claims that over the 90 minutes he was in the store committing the fraud, Verizon employees and store managers missed multiple opportunities to catch him. Oops. You, you Hey, you could have caught me 20 times. So the senior in high
3: school that is getting $10 an hour working at Verizon was criminally negligent.
2: Negligent for allowing that to happen. And um, the guy that was committing the crime for 90 minutes or multiple crimes for 90 minutes, you know, he's not responsible. Even though he's done this and been convicted 37 other times. <sighs> yeah, I have a feeling... He'll probably win something. He could. Just, just to settle. Like, okay, whatever. Or, Here's Or 50 Verizon, bucks, Verizon know, will bank.
4: fix their security flaws. Yeah. Yeah. So there could be a, a good outcome to this. Even though it seems like it's a frivolous lawsuit, it could make some change.
2: So maybe what James Leslie Kelly is doing is just serving the community. Hmm. Maybe this is community service. Could be. Maybe it counts towards his uh, time served. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Thanks, James, for all your help. Uh, there's a looming crisis as cemeteries across Canada are running out of space. Oh, no. Yeah. Canadians have been running out of space to bury their dead for years, but there are a few easy solutions. Uh, number one, let's not die. Okay. Let's live longer. Right. Um, number two, uh, what you could do is the there's only one graveyard, apparently, Mountain View Cemetery. This is in a town has only a few hundred grave sites available. Each gravesite now costs $25,000 because of this lack of space. Now the national cremation rate uh, is hovering at about 68% because cremation would be an answer to this. Just cremate people. And then just scatter their ashes all over places. Why don't they just stand
3: people up? Bury them standing up? Yeah, you
2: brought that up. That I think that's an interesting idea. But do you want to be on your feet for eternity? Or you
4: know, bury him in the backyard, like the
2: family pet. Well, exactly. I but mean, then, your, pet,
4: your pet's like you know, a member of the family, so why not just have a? everyone gets a backyard? And-
2: well, I think it's one thing to have the family pet dig up another family pet. Okay. It's another to have them dig up Uncle Pete. Eh. I think you know we're know little. Anything? I think
4: we're a little sensitive on that one.
2: Holy cow, is that a femur bone? <laughs> That's a femur. Ah, uh, go! Somebody's got to go
3: put grandma back. <laughs> So, barium standing up, yeah. barium underneath the uh, funeral parlor, yeah. the lobby.
4: Yeah, you know that building's taking wow. up precious real yeah. estate there, right? It's Canada. You could stack people.
2: True. Stack them deep. Sell them cheap. There's, there's solutions here. I don't think they're exploring. Well, yeah, they're, they're kind of to the one person per grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a nice space between the graves. Right. See, the, the saying is six feet under.
3: So that's I mean you could fit at least three bodies within those six feet. And why not? Why aren't we
2: putting them nine feet under? Yeah. We have the equipment now. It's not Go like deeper. You have to have a grave digger that digs. Send them down. to China. Dig all the way to China. <laughs> Since they're underneath us, apparently. What um why does everything have to end up in China? Eh. You know? You ever been? No. Huh? But I hear Heard it's, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I've been there. Braggard. Yeah. He's a braggart. Constantly. Uh, Also, um, I don't know. In the end, let's just tax it. Okay. A lot of times, if you tax something,
4: it gets fewer people do it. Yeah, or raise the price. I mean, $25,000 for a hole in the ground.
3: Yeah. I think your original idea was was just right, though. Just don't die. Don't die.
2: I mean, think of others. So selfish. I think Japan other places have been having this problem for years, and they've found ways to handle it. It's probably just more cremation. <sighs> Times, they are changing folks. Well, we will take a break, folks. Stick with us. When we come back, we're talking about relationships and the relationship guarantees. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Dr. Brian Willoughby. He's an associate professor in the School of Family Life here at BYU, and uh, he's a great uh, friend of the show, but a great researcher in when it comes to marriage and family. And good to have you here. For heaven's sakes, Brian, yeah. you look younger.
9: You good look, to be here. You healthy, happy. Finals week, is it? That's right. Finals week. That's
2: why you look so happy. That's right.
9: It's almost <laughs> over. <laughs> is it? Do you feel that as a professor? Yeah, I, I joke with my students because we just got done with classes, and so they've turned in all their papers, so Yeah, they're stressed. I mean, they're still taking tests, but now it's my stress having to grade all of it. Oh, yeah. You got to get all that done. Yep. So that's what my week looks like this next
2: week. Do do a lot of students come in now and start like begging for
9: help? That happens and... after the grading. Is So it not really? this week, but the next week. That's when you ought to take a vacation. That's right. You're just not available. Yeah, I'm just not here.
2: Sorry, guys. Yep. You should have thought about this earlier. That's right. So you wrote a, an excellent article on RelateInstitute.com about the 100% relationship guarantee. That's right. Is it possible to get to to get a guarantee?
9: No. It's okay. not. It's not, which is why we wrote, we wrote the blog. That's right. And it, it's really about the effect of our consumer culture that's kind of taken over everything. And, yeah. and what does that do and how does that affect our relationships?
2: It's – because we do. We want we, – we've already commoditized everything where it's like, eh, I need a new wife. That's right. And yeah. we just think we can just exchange it. But you're saying instead of getting a guarantee, you you probably need to get good at maintaining right. and, and making it better.
9: That's right. And it, it's all about how this mentality that we have around – we're used to going to the store – not even going to the store anymore, going on Amazon and finding something. We look at the reviews. And we we want to make sure that if we buy it, that it's going to make us happy. Yeah. And we want to make sure that if for some reason it doesn't make us happy, we get this 100% guarantee. I can bring it back. I can yeah. exchange it. We like that exchange, that warranty period to be as long as humanly possible. And that's how we operate a lot of our lives now. Yeah. It's based on if we don't like something, we can we can ditch it. And a lot of us now have brought that mentality over to our relationships where we want that same guarantee and that's affected our dating lives it's affected our marriage lives in some some possibly not so positive ways
2: right because I guess you could expect you could expect to be able to take back some I don't know spinach that's wilted right if it wilted before its date mm-hmm. but these are relationships
9: right? So, right so does it I guess one thing it does is it, or does it it impacts how we commit that's right That that is one of the big things because with the 100% return policy or guarantee, part of it is, well, I, I was able to maybe look at it online or look at it at the store yeah. and I got home and I was surprised. Yeah, it didn't look something. like it. Yeah. yeah, this was not what I expected. So I want I wanted to turn it back. We're, we don't have to be committed to that apple. I bought right. it at the supermarket, right? Because so if I don't like it, I just turn it back. But relationships, commitment is one of the most vital aspects of the relationship, that when we go into relationships, particularly long-term relationships, we have to be committed and when we're committed it changes our behavior it changes our perception but when we have more of a mentality of well if i find out something about you 10 years into a marriage that i don't really like that much why well, I, I i don't want to have to deal with that yeah. for the rest of my life
2: that's why i always tell people be careful about what you do, about telling your partner what you divorce them for mm-hmm. right because i mean it might be better that you just you're just in right you're just going to yeah. be in and don't surprise me, be honest, be trustworthy, right. but I'm not
9: going to give you the list. Yeah, that kind of ultimatum. And the other piece that this does for a lot of people, it creates a lot of fear in the yeah. dating process because, well, what if... I find out something I don't like about you right. down the road. What what if I find out that, that you're a little bit wilted over here in your personality? And that creates a lot of just fear and anxiety in the relationship and in, in some of that half commitment of, well, I'm committed to you now as I see you, but I've got one foot over here just in case something comes huh. up down the line.
2: But the commitment too, I guess, it it goes back to our commitment culture issues that we talked about before where you almost want to test drive, right? So right. we want to test marriage. So let's go live together. Mm-hmm. Not quite the same commitment
9: right. as a marriage. Yeah. Let's just go see if it works. Yeah, It was interesting. I did I did a study last year of young adults, and one of the things we asked them and talked to them about was living together in cohabitation and cohabitation and just asked why and, and what's going on. And one of the interesting things they told us, one of the most consistent themes is they said, well... You live with someone right before you get married to find out why they're or what they're lying about to you. There was this assumption oh, that when you're dating someone, there's going to be something you're out. not finding it out. And so the only way to figure that out before you get married is you got to live with them and they can't hide it anymore it was just very interesting kind of mistrust totally. of dating partners.
2: But now talk about what the research has actually found about cohabitation. It's, it really is not the same as marriage. Right.
9: Yes. The, the research has been pretty clear that it, it certainly it doesn't give you any kind of benefit in terms of finding things out or yeah. making people more committed. There's lots of research out there that suggests that it makes people less committed to the relationship because what it's doing is it's it's creating a relationship where we're basically saying – Hey, let's not commit to each other fully. So if any one, either one of us wants to leave, we can. And then we think some magic switch is going to happen in our brain when we all of a sudden sign a piece of paper and say, okay, well, now we're Now married. we're really in. Now I'm really in. And we find that that, that commitment that, or that lack of commitment tends to stay with people. They've yeah. already started dating you and having this relationship thinking I can leave whenever I want. I carry that over to marriage. So there's research that suggests that cohabitation is actually a risk factor hmm. for divorce and commitment.
2: This really, I mean, I think we think a lot of these behaviors have no risk. There's no risk to it. But it seems like if you if you can't commit, it's risky to not learn to commit.
9: Yeah, exactly. Um, one of my colleagues, Scott Stanley at the University of Denver, he, he studied commitment for decades and decades. Yeah. And he, he's talked about two types of commitment, what he calls constraint commitment, which is not super positive. That's like we have kids, or we have a house, or we've there's these barriers in the way. But then talks about dedication, commitment, which he's shown across several research studies as really positively related to good relationship outcomes and dynamics and that dedication commitment is i just want to be with you i'm dedicated to you i'm Hmm. committed to this in the relationship and i want to make it work and and what we find that happens to people back to this this guarantee idea and consumerism is when i find out something about you that maybe i don't like as much instead of thinking to myself well i I want a refund i want to exchange you (laughs) invoke my exchange policy it's well i'm dedicated to the relationship i need to try to figure out how to make this work I want to put effort and energy and resources into this relationship to try to work on things.
2: It's it's such an interesting thing because um, every moment you are in a relationship impacts how you relate mm-hmm. and impacts how you relate long term. Right. So if what you're doing in your current dating relationship will strengthen, I guess, or weaken your ability
9: to do it better or healthier in the next one. Right. Which is another issue of this consumer mentality to relationships. Is if I go a bunch or buy a bunch of groceries from the store and then return some of them, you know, if I return a, a loaf of bread, it doesn't affect the next time I buy right. bread. Maybe I'll switch the brand a yeah. little bit. Um, but you're right. Relationship history stays with us. And, and there's, there's research that's coming out that suggests that more relationship experience can actually be bad. In the long term, which actually runs counter to a lot yeah, totally, of the because you we've think we, we
2: need to date ten years That's right. to know get ourselves, lots of experience,
9: yeah. get to know yourself, get to know what you like mm-hmm. and what you don't like. And what we're finding is that people don't just all of a sudden go blank slate after they date someone; they carry that history with them, and sometimes it makes it harder to be in future relationships because then we start having this compare and contrast mindset. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. My third husband never did that. That's
9: right. Yeah, my last boyfriend <laughs> was like this, and, and what starts to happen is we start to create this fantasy person. That's, well, if I take this trait of my first boyfriend <laughs> and this trait of my second yeah. and this is my third, that's the person I'm it's trying like to build find a bear. somewhere out there. Exactly. I'm, I'm trying to find that person that's this collaboration of all of these positive traits and has none of the negative ones.
2: It's such an interesting idea. It is. It's a build a berry. Yep. You're going to build your partner. But the I guess what if we, if it's not going to be a consumer model, mm-hmm. darn it, right? then it's a model where we we buy it as is mm-hmm. without fully knowing it's everything about it. Right. And then there'll be surprises. Yes. And then you just got to be right. good enough to manage. It's
9: a, it's a DIY. It's a mindset. fixer-upper. It's a do-it-yourself <laughs> Yeah, I mindset, love that. Right? It's, it's, it's not going to the store and looking for that finished product. And if we don't like it, we return it. It's going to the hardware store and, and, and looking for all the different people and building something. Yeah. And building something together.
2: That's pretty powerful too because you – everything in our life is disposable now right. i mean even a car if i go buy a brand new car i know i will get rid of it in 5 years that's 6 right. years done yep
9: yep nothing lasts forever no. and i don't want it to last forever cuz the new stuff's coming yeah, i out. want the new thing i want the new one i want the new phone i want all the new features and uh. again all of that that mentality that we use in our consumer lives is is the opposite of what we need in our relationship. Lives. Do
2: we do we do the same thing with our other relationships or is it only our romantic relationship? It's because we don't like jettison our parents. Yeah, do we? It,
9: it tends to be in, in just our romantic relationships. And the reason for that is because romantic relationships are what we call non fixed relationships, which means there's choice ah. with our parents and with our siblings. They're stuck. fixed relationships. Yeah. I'm stuck with you. Right? I can't change it. I can not talk to you ever. Right. right. So I can change that, what the relationship looks like. But I'm still stuck with you. Romantic relationships. There's this element of choice. I get to choose you, mm. and you have to choose me. And that's where that consumerism then starts to seep into it. Ooh, it's that idea
2: that you you have a choice, which means there's deals, there's better mm. deals.
9: That's right. Yeah. But you don't want a deal. That's right. You don't want a bargain. I don't want the bargain. <laughs> I don't want. I want the bargain box.
2: You don't want the entry yeah. level model. You always want the top of the line model. But you, right. you know, it's it really is a warped
9: mm-hmm. little view we've got. Yeah. And it's all other focused. It's all all about what other them. people They're are doing not or not doing. are not cutting it.
2: Yeah. Because you don't have these problems with anyone else. That's right. But them. That's it.
9: It's not me. I, I grew my
2: family and I, we've, not, we've been nothing but strong. Right. In if our anything, fixed relationship.
9: if our relationship has a problem, it's because I selected incorrectly. Yeah. And now I need to do a yeah. better job picking someone.
2: And my mom was telling me I shouldn't have married you. Yeah. I hear that all the time from my wife. Um, we'll take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Brian Willoughby. Uh, he's an associate professor here in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. It's blowing up the guarantee, the relationship guarantee idea. Maybe what would be better is that you just get used to the do it yourself or fixer upper, get the skills, the tools. Stick with us. We'll come back. Continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in studio with us today is Brian Willoughby, professor, associate professor in the School of Family Life right here at Brigham Young University. And uh, I tell you, Brian's uh, done a lot. He is a relationship and marriage uh, researcher expert, um, also deals in dating, sexuality, cohabitation, marriage formation, and marital attitudes and beliefs.
9: That's right. You're busy, do man.
2: I know. Andy's doing finals this week. That's right. With the students.
9: Well, I'm not. Do- I'm giving the you, final. You're
2: giving the final, and then you're going, then to, have going to, to have to grade them. All yes. of them. Yeah. Then you have a little sabbatical.
9: Then I've got a little break, which will That's be nice. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Spend some time. Kinda, with the I'm
2: a little jealous.
9: Yeah. It's the life of a professor. I know.
2: It's such a good life. I only had
9: to go to college for ten years.
2: No, look what it got you. Such a good gig. Um,
9: we're talking about this
2: idea that we believe we live in a world where we can get a 100% guarantee if you don't like it bring it back and now people are carrying that idea into their romantic relationships mm-hmm. one of the points that you bring up in your article that you wrote, you wrote on relateinstitute.com is and you you alluded to it before the break was that we we always tend to think the problem then is in what we bought right it wasn't in our research. It wasn't in what we were doing. It's not in how we handle it. But it's, it's our spouse that's the problem. We just got a bad one, a lemon. That's right.
9: Yeah. And this is one of the consistent problems with our modern relationships right now is because of consumers and because of individualism, we're, we're very, as I said earlier, other focused. We're always focused on what our partner's doing wrong, on what our partner's not giving us, yeah. what we don't like. And we don't do a lot of introspection on uh, what am I doing wrong. What am I not doing in this relationship? Or how am I even contributing right. to these things that I'm, I'm being frustrated about in the relationship? Um, and unfortunately, that that doesn't really help with long-term We know the most positive long-term you – know, we're talking those 50-, 60-year marriages. Those are relationships and marriages where both partners are spending a lot of time thinking about themselves mm-hmm. in terms of what – can I fix? And how can I make my partner happy? Yeah. And when both people are doing that, that's when you're going to get the most satisfying, happy and committed relationships because you are going to be doing things for each other. You are going to be helping each other. You're going to be improving the relationship But because I want to change myself to make you happy. yeah, And you want to change yourself to make me happy. Oh. And that's where that really strong connection and commitment really starts to, and,
2: to come. And there's a, there's a really, I don't know, there's something so safe about seeing your partner adjusting. For you. Mm-hmm, exactly.
9: Without complaint. Like yeah. just
2: adjusting. This is what you need. Okay.
9: Yeah. And it's so different than everything else in our, in our world. Again, if we go back to this consumer mindset, when I'm on Amazon, you know, shopping for for some new toy, some new electronic, I'm not thinking to myself, how can I make that electronic happy when it comes into my home? <laughs> no. How can I make it welcome? Yeah, right. it, it, I need to change some it, things about my, me. yeah, it's, it's, it's all about me. Right? It's supposed to make me happy or fulfill some need that I have. And and a lot of things in our life are like that. We even look at our jobs like that now. Where I want job satisfaction. I want to be fulfilled yeah. in my job. My job is is you know if I if if I don't like something about my job, that's my job's fault. I'll go find another one. Um, and relationships need to be unique in our lives. They need to be different in our lives. It has to be this this part of myself and part of my identity where I'm willing to do some sacrificing and willing to do some some change in myself to better both myself and the relationship. And that's where that really deep fulfillment I think comes from.
2: Don't people feel like, um, but for me to do that, I'm like losing myself. So then I'm kind of becoming subservient. I'm but that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. You're, that's right. You're finding yourself that's right. to lose yourself.
9: Yeah. It, it's hopefully as I'm making those changes, I'm just becoming a better person, mm-hmm. right? Is that I, I, I know for myself as I think about my own marriage and I, I tell my wife this a lot is she, she's much kinder than I am. Um, she, she's she, she's all, always thinking about other people and she's helped me yeah, to do that totally. a lot in my life. Not that I'm anywhere near where she's at, but she's always pushing me to say, hey, you know, think about other people. Do do these acts of service, and 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 I could certainly look at that and say, well, that's that's not who I am, right? Right? I I don't care about other people, but but as I've done that and and tried to to let that input and, and focus on becoming a better person for her, I think it's helped make me a better person.
2: How do you? Because I see it a lot with my clients, where they 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 almost are exhausted by the constant having to try to to serve the other. Mm-hmm. So what what advice do you give to somebody that's out there that's kind of in a one-sided relationship? Right. They don't want to give it up, but they would sure love the other to kick in. Right. How do you give them hope once they're tired of kind of doing it right. themselves?
9: Yeah, there's two sides to that. One is, is don't give up because if you give up – And start to just be kind of selfish in in your relationship behaviors. That's not going to make anything better. And you won't be happier because you're
2: you're being selfish.
9: Um, And so that's one side is is keep trying to do what you're doing. The other side is – that this. then we get into some important communication and and kind of conflict resolution is is maybe I do need to express this to my partner. But do it in a way that's not, hey, look at how great I'm being. (laughs) And here's all the things that you're not doing. What a Um, loser. And and making sure that I'm expressing – I just want you to understand how I feel. And here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm thinking. I want to work on this together. Let's make this collaborative. What can I maybe be? Again, it's still about me. What can I be doing to help support you and support the relationship? Um, But then it might be time to have some of those types of conversations and hope that my partner is receptive to
2: it. Do you sense um, are we creating a more selfish generation or is it just seem that way?
9: Um, it's I I don't think selfish is the right word and I, yeah. I I go to a lot of young adult conferences and this is what they always of the talk big about the debates. millennials yeah. and are they, are they self- narcissistic yeah. are they selfish no. I don't think selfish is the right word I've done enough interviews and research on that group where where I don't think it's just about selfishness I just want me 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 mm-hmm. me me. Um, I think we've put so much stress and anxiety on the, on the rising generation to be good at everything that they don't know how to how to do that anymore how am i supposed to be a perfect partner and a perfect and my student, job a right, student yeah. and 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 all of these things and then be fit and mm-hmm. eat healthy and all these things and and, and things start slipping through the cracks and, and they just don't have enough resource, particularly with relationships, unfortunately, is that our culture has really de-emphasized in many ways relationships. And we've really emphasized the get your education and get your career yeah. trajectory going and do all those so things true. first. And then the relationship might be this nice thing that you get at some point, the kind of cherry on the top of your life um and 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 that doesn 't really again work for long term relationships, but that 's the mentality a lot of young adults have
2: no and and relationships might be the most complicated thing i mean right. a degree is mm-hmm. te- it 's tedious and it 's difficult right. but there 's a path yeah, but and, with a relationship that 's not the path's not always right. clear
9: and 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 what we 're trying to do is take these incredibly complex hard sacrificing based relationships. And saying once I have all this other stuff figured out, like I said, I'll put that cherry on the top and then people get frustrated. What, that that cherry is hard to keep up there. <laughs> um, and that, that's a different mentality and it's hard sometimes for young adults now in their early 20s or even late teens to think about, well, what if, what if the mentality was more I start with my relationship yeah. on the bottom? Yeah. That's my foundation that's in the life. basis. And then everything else, my education, my career, my volunteering, everything else is based on that foundation and that rock.
1: Love
2: that. That And that that won't – you'll always need relationships. Right. You'll always have relationships. The better you get at that, the better right. your life will be.
9: And if you think about our typical life course is that most of us and most of us still today in our society, at the end of the day in our life when we're you know getting to 70 and 80, yeah. well, the career goes away. The kids have Poof, gone, gone away. Yeah. All those things. What do we want? We want that spouse. Relationship. We want that relationship with us. That's
2: right. And isn't that powerful? And it really is – you always read the obituary where the father the family was gathered around as he passed and you sit there and you think well you won't have a family or relationships mm-hmm. what what would the obituary read right without the relationships mm-hmm. power Dr. Brian Willoughby's is his name uh he you can go to his website drbrianwilloughby.com drbrianwilloughby.com great resource folks you won't uh he's got a book coming out soon too yep when is that
9: this is still, I next know. month or two, it publisher keeps going back and forth. With we'll
2: me. we'll talk about it yeah. all the time on the show. Stick with us, Brian. Thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back with BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back, friends. So the Matt Townsend show, perfect music. I think to go down to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew.
1: It's a little too intense right now.
2: You know why? Because I want a review of uh, the movie Fate and the Furious.
1: The fate of the Furious.
2: Is that what it's called? Yeah. The, which
1: f- Furious th- movie? The, the Fate and the I'm Spurious. Furious you don't spurious. Know that. Of the Spurious. Of the Steve Spurious. <laughs> did you like the movie, guys? I did. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Were there any cars in it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Any yeah, car chases? In fact, in in fact about there, cars the there was a character.
8: scene that was comparable to uh, World War Z meets the Running of the Bulls, but cars <laughs> were the bulls. Really? <laughs>
1: yeah. It's How it was exciting. ridiculous, but it was very entertaining.
8: <laughs> we laughed so much. Did like, anyone cry? Because
1: it was silly. Yes.
2: Nobody cried though.
1: No. No. Nope. In the the seventh movie. It was close, you know, to tears. Wow. The
2: did the rock did the rock have missile arms, missile gun arms?
1: Always. That sounds great, you guys. Like missiles. Like <laughs> missiles. That's it's <laughs>
2: yeah, that, amazing.
1: It's that's one way of saying it, I guess. No, it was it was fun. It was fun. I really enjoyed watching it. It's not gonna win any awards, of course, but and there's there's a point at some point, I don't maybe it was a few movies ago, they just decided to throw out
2: Like a plot, yeah, like yeah, just
1: there is zero reality
2: in this movie. Well, there doesn't need to be, right? Because it sold what three quarters of a billion dollars now? Has it really? Well, it's five hundred and forty in the first day, right? Five hundred and forty million in the first day.
8: There are so many big names in it. Yeah, that also help. That Charlie's Kurt Russell, Vin Diesel, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Jason Statham, like, Man. yeah, it's...
2: Is that why you guys are now... I noticed you're driving more aggressively in the parking lot today. Oh, you noticed that <laughs> yeah. today?
8: That's every day. Oh, Yeah, that's every day.
2: You guys were, like, pulling in, screeching your tires. Uh-huh. Jerem was changing his tire.
8: Hey, Hey, did you know that there is actually, like, an available course for people that want to learn how to be stunt drivers and... If you own like a, a racing machine or a, a high profile car, high performance car, like a you Honda, can, you can pay money. <laughs> yeah. Like you car. can pay money and go learn how to race oh, that thing. Oh, let's do um, that. I have a buddy in my neighborhood that did that. Right and here? so he's like, hey, let me, let me teach you a few things. Put your left foot on the brake, throw <laughs> it into neutral, rev the engine up to like 5,000 RPMs, and then throw it into drive and let go of the brake. And like, you'll spin out like crazy, man. It's unbelievable.
2: Wow. I was There's a little, horse
8: nearby? I was a little scared. Mama no, said not to England. do that.
2: <laughs> oh, it's in England. It's in Europe. Yep.
8: Never mind. It's in Europe, but he has done it.
2: Nice. Ooh. See? Now,
8: I, I did what I did nearby. <laughs> what, what, what did you do? What did you do? Spun out my car in a circle like a stunt driver.
2: It was awesome. Did you really? Yeah. Were you, were you at a church parking lot?
8: I can neither confirm nor deny that that Either was better Walmart.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is bad. It's because you got a newer car. Newer, new, uh, newer. Well, you got new compared to the, your other car. Yes. And even you even hooked Jerem up, I hear.
8: Yes. I listen, I am happy to be the BYU Sports Nation deal car guy.
2: You're like, you're you're making money on the side, just selling cars.
8: Honestly, I have joked with my wife, like it would be very easy for me to be a car salesman because I love cars.
2: (laughs) Well, and then you, and you wear those white shoes. Exactly. Yeah. Those white, nice, shiny shoes. Uh huh. With my that blue big polyester shirt. Uh huh. I, I am. What's it going to take to get you in this car today? <laughs> <laughs> you know how many times I've heard that from you. I need to open up a used car. Box. You really should. <laughs> you really should because I'm looking for a car right now. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Are you really? I am, but I can't. I I think I may have already found it. I'm just such a boring guy.
8: I will help you find your boring know, car I don't of choice, that,
2: Matt. Matt. <laughs> Did you say that, Jerem, that everyone thinks that?
8: No, I said we don't know. Oh, okay. I, you might think it's a boring car, but I'll find you the best deal on that boring car.
2: Will you really? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to come talk to you after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's just keep it between us, though, okay? All right. All right. right. Nobody, nobody, okay, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Up. I'll hook you up. I'll get you to a marriage class if you guys need it. Sweet. Let's I, do it. I know some really good classes. Hey, um, <laughs> boy, so much news in sports, but a lot of it's really negative, it's sad. There's a lot of sad news I wanted to talk to you about, but I don't want to bring them up. OK. What? Well, now you've piqued my curiosity. What are you referencing? Well, Hernandez killed himself. OK. Yeah. yeah. That's that was sad. And yeah. I don't want to get uh, Jake Heap, Heaps tragedy in his driveway with his child. No, that's Todd Heaps. Or Todd Heaps. Sorry. Not Todd Jake. Heap. Not Jake. Yeah. Not Jake. Oh. Todd Heaps.
1: Yeah. Make, oh, know. that was the difference. saddest thing in the world. So, so awful.
2: Accidentally yeah. killed his child. Um, yeah. yeah. Worst thing in the world. Um, then the Jazz lost.
8: Yeah, so they it's took like one of two. That was, yeah.
2: was that the goal? And that they, doesn't compare
8: they, to the ha, previous two you mentioned. No, but, they have yeah. taken over home court advantage. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. There, there are some downers. Is there store. any
2: positive stories? I guess that's what your show will cover. Tell me what your show will be about today, and make it positive. Why there is new hope for BYU?
8: Really? In the West Coast Conference. Men's basketball championship race. Or is there?
2: (laughs) Or not. Yeah,
8: or is there. Excellent. So it's a question,
2: not a statement.
8: The West Coast Conference Player of the Year will not be returning to play with Gonzaga next year. He's going pro. Going pro. Does that make that much of a difference? Two basketball insiders that cover BYU and the West Coast Conference have stated that if this said player decided to go pro, that Gonzaga would not be the favorite. Well, here it is. He mm. made it official. Yeah. Yes. How does it,
1: yeah. How does this affect the, uh, the race in the West Coast Conference?
8: Jerem is not in agreement.
1: No, I think King is King until he's not, right? Until, yeah. Um, and then the, there was an uh, NFL draft, mock draft from a dude on NFL.com. He has Harvey Longy going ahead of Jamal Williams. We'll tell you wow. the details coming up. No hmm. one's saying that. Everyone thinks Jamal's going. Yeah. And then probably Harvey Longy in the draft, sounds like.
2: That's amazing. I remember when Longy was playing high school ball, destroying everybody. Bingham? He was. Yeah.
1: At Bingham.
2: Bingham. Yeah, let's call Bingham. It that. Bingham. Yes. Um, all right. Okay, I got to let you go. Go get your show done. Uh, you'll probably have someone drop by your office to talk cars. Okay. Perfect. Sounds good. Peace out. Remember who you are. Make sure you have your white shoes. Ah. <sighs> Those guys are good. You're going to want to listen. In four minutes, folks, in four minutes, BYU Sports Nation will be kicking off. You're going to want to be there. Hey, a couple things. Uh, Make sure, ladies, if you go on a first date, protect your purse. You won't believe this. Police say a Phoenix man has been arrested for allegedly stealing a woman's purse during a first date. They say 38-year-old David Harlow met the woman on an online dating site, talked for several hours, uh, before meeting in person at a Phoenix resort. During the date, the unidentified woman went to the restroom and asked Harlow to watch her belongings. When she got back, Harlow and her purse were gone. Gone. Mm. I mean, you thought you trusted the guy. We're well, having dinner.
3: Let's give this guy the benefit of a doubt. Okay. Maybe it's not what it seems.
2: Well, he allegedly took the victim's credit cards to a casino and tried to withdraw money from several banks. Okay, maybe he received a phone call
3: and somebody was being held hostage and he needed the money right then and there.
2: Yeah, maybe, except they booked him into jail on suspicion of felony theft and theft of credit cards and taking the identity of another person.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
2: So, I guess we're not so I guess the date's over. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're done with the date. Don't you wonder how long she sat there waiting for him to come back like like who paid for the dinner? You know what though? He had the cards.
3: This is his redemption. His one phone call was to her.
2: Yeah. Hey, can you? Can we go out again? Can you bail me out? (laughs) It's the weirdest thing. I had to leave with your purse and go to the casino to get some money. But I was just wondering if you could come bail me out. Anyway, be careful when you're on your first date. Uh, Always do it in public. And uh, if I were you, I'd just keep your credit cards on you. On your person, twelve-year-old girl uh, stops carjacker from abducting her little sister, making her the hero of the day. When a Virginia mom pulled over to help victims of a car crash over Easter weekend, she says she had no idea her twelve-year-old daughter would end up being the hero of the day. Brandi Weiler and her two daughters, Maddie and Molly, were on their way to Bush Gardens in Williamsburg on Saturday when they all witnessed a car accident. When they saw the car crash happen right before us, two cars in front of us, Maddie told. WTKR, Maddie's mom pulled over to help, but while she was on the phone with 911, she says the man who caused the accident, later identified as Paul Salzman, approached her van with the two girls inside. I could see him coming towards the van and I'm screaming, said Weiler. While the girls were waiting for their mom, Maddie and police say the driver approached their van, stuck his hand inside the car, unlocked the doors and climbed in. He was saying all these things like, let's go. I need to get to, I need to, get to this place, Maddie said. He tried to take off, but Maddie was uh, ready for a fight. I just went for it, she said. Nothing passed my mind except he's a psycho and he needs to get out of the car. I just went for it, and uh, she just basically started to pummel him. I put the car in drive because uh, that is the safety feature on the van and held it there, uh, said Maddie. With the transmission in drive, Maddie knew that there was no way Salzman would be able to start the car. Smart girl, smart girl, and uh, anyway, it kept him from starting the car. And then finally, Molly's mom found out about it, and the firefighters and everyone came over, ran over, and took over the situation. So, 12 year old, uh, uh, a 12 year old girl, Maddie Weiler, saves the day. Hero of the day on the Matt Townsend show. See, heroes come in all shapes and sizes, all ages as well. You too could be a hero just by being there for someone else. That's the show, my friends. We will be back tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern time, right here, talking about uh, all the latest and greatest research on, on life. Until then, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.